0: To man you gotta start talking or you like I, know, I don't know i know up. like to give me something to talk about aside from us being quiet i was all so like, just checking,
1: yeah i was checking all my you know organizational shit making sure i had my no. news
0: ready and notes and all that sort of shit well we can't you know not have any of that stuff ready so it's a very intricate operation so yeah, you know, very, it very much is i don't think the people realize how like <laughs> in depth we go here
1: yeah exactly Uh, All right. Well, with that, we will get started. Welcome back, everybody, to Dance Robot Dance, our 122nd episode. Uh, I'm Tim. I'm going to be hosting this week. And with me, I have just one other person. I've got Mark with me. How's it going, guys? Christy
0: is off doing improv stuff, I think. I can't keep track of her schedule. I I, I just kind of like, (laughs) when she's like, I can't do the podcast this week. I'm like, all right, I guess we're going to talk to Christy this week and just move along with my week. So,
1: yep. But, uh, I mean, what she had had said, because she was, like, really busy during the Halloween season, because she was doing those ghost tours, and she's like, yeah, it'll get better, and after that's over. Apparently, what she means by that is there's only, like, three nights a week that she's consistently busy now. Which is better than, like,
0: the one afternoon, (laughs) where we can usually get a hold of her (laughs) in the last couple months. And, like, to be fair, your schedule has been balls as well. Oh, it has yeah. and we'll continue to
1: be over this uh well over next week anyways. Well, the yeah, no. this the the rest of this week since we're recording this the day before American Thanksgiving. So I don't know if I I assume I've got a couple of American listeners. A couple of my friends have told me they listen sometimes.
0: So if you are out there, happy Thanksgiving. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's at least like a couple other people who listen to us that are from, you know, down south. Probably really enjoy how much I trash that country lately, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, well, fucking deserves it. Yeah, basically.
1: <laughs> we did just hit, I think, like seven hundred likes on Facebook this week, so did we actually tip that uh that needle? I didn't yeah, see we did. Oh yeah, we did. Seven oh five right you know, now. Yeah. Oh. Uh so yeah, if we have any new listeners, welcome and yeah, thank you for getting us over that hump. I'm not skeptical as to how many of those seven hundred are actual listeners and seven a... is is the actual number, <laughs> I think. <is> <laughs> About well, 1%? Yeah, <laughs> about includes, a percent. That includes
0: us. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I am a subscriber. I you know, yeah. I don't just listen to the podcast. I don't just make the podcast. I download it and then delete it because I'm not listening to it for a fifth time in a week. So that's okay.
1: Yeah, exactly. Not only yeah. am I a member of the Hair Club for Men, Hair Club for I'm Men, also Club a client.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I saw a lot of those weird yeah. ads. That's the one thing. Like, I don't watch TV up here regularly but like when i go travel i'll like flip on the hotel tv just to like i don't know flip around i guess because i don't Mm -hmm. get that option very often but man they advertise a lot of weird shit in the states these days i was like when? why why do i need to why are you advertising a catheter at me while i'm watching star trek like what is happening here (laughs) it was weird
1: i guess just a lot of people retire there so that's why they they advertise there i don't
0: know man it was it was a sea of old folks you know what i mean like the until the the night until the sun goes down Yep, and I'll,
1: then all will spend in their uh, their kids' inheritances.
0: Hey, you know, what else have the boomers done for us? <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, you were in Vegas this week. How was that? It was a lot of fun. So yeah, my sister got married on Saturday night by an Elvis impersonator from Vancouver. Uh, oh, nice. Small chapel. Yeah, in Las Vegas. He was fucking hysterical. I highly recommend if you guys ever decide to do the Elvis thing again, Yeah, I got to get you guys this guy's info because he was like, <laughs> karate chopping and like flirting <laughs> with my sister and like which uh which chapel was it i i don't even remember man like mm-hmm. i gotta i'd have to ask somebody i yeah. know everybody else them. mom will reply like when i post the episode <laughs> and she'll tell you yeah karen there's tell she... me and i can tell you if it was the same one that uh, alicia and i went to or not yeah so we did that and like we did uh there's an avenger station set up where they have a bunch of like props and stuff it's gonna be my geek of the week so we'll get into that later but yeah. uh nice. there's some cool shit going on in vegas this week so
1: yeah, I wish I could have come out, but just was not in
0: the cards, so to speak. Yeah, it's okay. Um, but... We had a good time. We missed you. I missed you, anyway. <laughs> I don't know if I needed any more help getting into fucking trouble in Vegas. So, like... <laughs> did you gamble at all? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I did... Oh, yeah, you showed me you showed me the slot machines. Yeah, all the, the themed ones and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I did a little bit of that stuff, but I sat at a couple of th- I played a couple of hands of poker while I was down there. It's been a while, so I was I got cleaned out pretty quick, but it was, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, it's been
1: did all right. Yeah. Blackjack's been my poison lately. When I was uh, Travel work last week, I was in uh, Cleveland and l- there was literally a big casino like right down the block from my hotel, mm-hmm. um, right in like downtown Cleveland uh, that I went to. And so I played like Game of Thrones slot machines and Blackjack. And I'm actually good enough at Blackjack that I can like more often than not come out a little bit ahead. So
0: yeah, yeah. I'm the same way with Blackjack. Like if I sit down at a table, I'm I'm usually like I can probably stay even the whole night if I yeah kind of not being a fucking idiot about
1: paying close attention and not like yeah yeah, not being
0: reckless and fucking around and shit like that or staring at every girl that walks by in a short skirt which is also a problem (laughs) in those casinos so like yeah distracted is like kind of a a thing to avoid if you can while you're on it but it's difficult because they don't make it like easy to pay attention to what's going on funny so
1: yeah yeah so you said it's just uh mark and i tonight so we're gonna get in which is I mean, I like having Christy around, but every once in a while, it's nice to <laughs> have a chance to talk about something that Christy's not really into, which is kind of what you guys did
0: last week while I wasn't here. And so... Yeah. And I'm we trashed trash you. in Oh, I know. With, I, I in, listen. Uh, in front. I know you listen Absolutely. That's right. So we can trash Christy this week because she disappears. Yeah. I expect... At some point, I will miss an episode, and the volume <laughs> of trashing of Mark will be basically the entire episode, and it'll be no. fun to edit for me. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say, but you're the one that edits it, so there's no yeah.
1: point in us trashing you. Exactly. You're just yeah. fucking edit it all out it's like a 13 minute episode. What happens? <laughs> like no, you throw the outro, while like, well, they
0: trash me for fucking two hours. So That's <laughs> the whole thing. Fuck
1: you guys. <laughs> yes but we will get to uh to what we're actually gonna uh focus on this week in a bit first let's go through some not uh fuck not naughty news jeez what the fuck is this hey naughty news works for me too (laughs) if you want to get into some i was just
0: in vegas for four days
1: (laughs) naughty news is right up my alley right now (laughs) fair enough nerdy news so let's see nothing like huge this week i mean the biggest one i guess is fantastic beasts fantastic beasts came out towards the end of last week Amanda's proving to be pretty divisive from what i have
0: seen i have only seen like reviews and the fact that it seems to be underperforming at the box office a little bit which is interesting
1: yeah I've, I've seen i've seen reviews that have gone sort of both ways i've seen a lot of pieces that say crimes of grindelwald is sort of really exposition heavy and that sort of i've had people tell me like that it were or, or read that People saying like it was the best twenty minute nap I ever paid for and shit like that for like the first first like twenty minutes of the movie and so yeah it's, it's it sucks when this happens when franchises start to sort of eat themselves and fandoms start to eat themselves like this because this is obviously not the first first time we've seen this and
0: you're uh, you wouldn't uh know anything about that as a Star Wars fan eh like that yeah exactly be anything or or a fan of the fucking Middle Earth movies, either. <laughs> mm, that too. Hey, man, I'm a, I'm a diehard Trekkie. Guess what? I get this every time something <laughs> new pops up. Yep. They're still bitching about discovery everywhere. So, like, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, so I
1: think we were talking about doing an episode on this. So maybe uh, once Christy's back, we can get our shit together and actually find the time to go out and see this because I do still have at least a passing interest in the wizarding world. So.
0: Yeah, like, oh, I would watch it. Maybe I don't know if I'd run out to the theater and see it unless we were going to actually do an episode about the two movies, um, which yeah. required me to watch the first one and not fall asleep. Uh, also. <laughs> I like the first. So one. That's, I just like, I don't know, man, if I want cutesy British people running around doing adventure things, there's a show called Doctor Who has been going on for a long time, <laughs> but there's lots of episodes to watch again. So true and, enough. Have you been watching the, uh, the Jodie Whittaker stuff yet? Uh, I've watched the first. I'm only up to the third episode. I've been enjoying it so far. They got a lot of companions, I find. And I'm like, why are we taking so much focus away from the doctor right now when I want to kind of know about her more? Mm -hmm. But I'm sure they'll get to it eventually. I think they just kind of wanted to like change, like shake the formula up a little bit. They've been very like one or two companions at a time for like basically most of this run, uh, Mm -hmm. except for the end of tenants kind of uh, tenure, I guess. Yeah. So it is kind of nice to see them doing like a big group of companions kind of coming in and out. But, it's not really the my like the way I like my Doctor Who to be structured so it's eh, whatever. I like her though. She's fucking awesome. So
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the I yeah. I found the episode so far. I'm up and I haven't watched this week's episode which was like the like Google Amazon like shtick yeah. episode, but uh, I've watched all the others and I found them to be good to great. I haven't had any yeah. episodes yet where I've been like really disliking. Uh but yeah, and Jodie yeah. Whittaker's knocking it out of the fucking park.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like uh they they've done uh matt smith i'm very happy with the doctor casting so uh continue good times let's see moving on the
1: birds of prey movie we're getting sort of more little bits of information on it and it got a title this week i'm not sure people are saying that it has a title now just because margot robbie posted a picture of a script Oh, I saw that. Yeah, the script says Birds of Prey, like it's typed out. And then underneath, it looks like presumably Harley Quinn has written in in parentheses and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Yeah, I don't know whether to take that as it's a it's the title of the movie, like the full title of the movie or just, hey, this is Harley Quinn just fucking around kind of thing.
0: There was a story I saw somewhere before we started recording. I think I might have been on Reddit somewhere that it was more like it. the take on it was more that like Rob, uh, that movie came out of the fact that she was supposed to get a solo Harley Quinn movie. It mm. seems to have kind of turned into this Birds of Prey movie and yeah. she still wants that solo Harley movie. Yeah, so I think she's kind of pushing, throwing her uh, that's her throwing her star power around. I think a little bit trying to remind everybody that like we should probably get a solo. Margot Robbie, Harley Quinn movie.
1: I mean, she's one of the, like, probably one of the top five characters, I would say, in the DC EU. so I would be down for that.
0: I, I'd i argue she's, like, the number three-ish character, two, three-ish character. I mean, Wonder Woman and then her are probably the most popular characters that don't have a bunch of people shitting on them for whatever reason, like a garbage movie or what have you. Yeah. Kind of thing. I mean, Suicide Squad was shit, but she was great in it, so, like, yeah. you know, I'd rather see yeah hell i'd rather see birds of prey with her in it or like a solo her movie than anything else that they've been promising so far like birds of prey sounds more interesting to me than even aquaman does coming up so
1: Def- uh maybe not aquaman but it's definitely more interesting to me at this point than fucking shazam is looking
0: or yeah yeah but like yeah shazam looks kind of weird i don't know what the <laughs> hell that that movie is gonna be but even yeah. like like the flash movie or like what else is oh cyborg like i would rather see a harley quinn solo movie than either of those movies at this point i've already got five years of the flash tv show to watch so like yeah do I need a movie? And Cyborg's not a character I'm super interested in. I'd rather see this Harley. Like, I'd rather do they just, like, they got a good actress to play Harley. Use her as much as you can while she still wants to do it. And she obviously wants to, so yeah, what are we waiting for? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. That's just DCE <laughs> shit, though, right? Like, that's kind of the way they've been operating the whole time. It's just like, maybe we should do something cool. Well, no, wait, let's do something dumb first, and then we'll do something cool, maybe, if that does well.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm hopeful that the change in leadership that DC had earlier this year will actually affect some fucking change but also related i'm not sure if this is a cool thing that dc's doing or a dumb thing that dc's doing but if you are an amazon prime member you can see aquaman a week early which i'm thinking i might actually do because i am an amazon prime member
0: Does that a, does that account up here as well i am an amazon prime member i
1: don't know um i have to take a look yeah it's uh it doesn't say in the sort of articles in the social media stuff i've been seeing surrounding this but basically it's officially supposed to release on uh, or officially releases on December 21st. Yeah. But if you're a prime member, oh i think it might only be across the US, but there's a 1000 theaters across the US that will hold special screenings for Aquaman on December 15th and you can like get your yeah. tickets through Amazon Prime. So i think it might actually do that because i'm going to be traveling that weekend because that's when we're Alicia and I are headed up to Canada for Christmas. In theory. Yeah. So, yeah. So that might be the only, well, the only chance for me to get to see Aquaman around release time because I'm still like the trailers for that are looking,
0: they, they have me intrigued. Although I want to see it. I just, I'm saying I'd rather see the Marco Robbie solo. Yeah. Thing. I'm just <laughs> being finished. Fair enough. But like I'll go see Aquaman. Looks like it'll be entertaining at the very least. Yeah. So
1: let's see. I don't think we talked about this, but so and this might not even apply to our Canadian listeners. But there is this channel slash stream or mostly streaming platform uh, called Filmstruck that was a Turner property that streamed classic movies that were really hard to find elsewhere that recently got canned to film nerds chagrin everywhere. And that was maybe a few weeks ago now. But now there's apparently also talk that, that there's going to be a Criterion channel that is going to sort of pick up a lot of that content.
0: I would pay for a Criterion channel because those movies are usually, like, maybe, like, pay for a month of it a year and just kind of go through a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty, like, fascinating. Especially, do they keep the license to all those movies? I'm not sure how the licensing works. I assume a lot of
1: them are just the licensing for them isn't particularly expensive because they're not you know, there are house films for the most part and a lot of them aren't people like chomping at the bit for them kind of thing. So
0: I'm still trying to remember like criterion editions that I actually own. I think like chasing Amy was the first one I knew I had a buddy in university who owned like anytime criterion put a disc out, he bought it and didn't matter what movie it Mm -hmm. was like. It could be the rock or it could be citizen Kane and he would buy it. And I was like, all right. And like, I guess that's a thing, but like they do good work. So,
1: Oh yeah. I mean, they're, they put out definitive versions of movies that have always have awesome awesome nice content yeah 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 i've got i've probably got at least i don't know somewhere between five and ten criterion list, yeah. and they're they're always really good yeah um i know i've got uh fear and loathing in las vegas i know i've got the criterion of that i can't remember i have that one,
0: one for sure yeah, yeah. Um uh, i'm trying to think what i was doing great think is there like a psycho criterion i think i might have i
1: uh, if there is i don't have it but i wouldn't be surprised if there was
0: i know i've got a hitchcock or two i think vertigo's one that i have um, there's a criterion and there's another one too. I'm not sure which one it is. Yeah. They usually do
1: a really good job on the package design on those too.
0: Yeah, yeah. The package is really nice. What's really nice with those movies too is like getting good, like good, clean grayscale transfers and stuff, which mm-hmm. is always kind of tricky.
1: And really good sound quality yeah. and sound mixes and that kind of thing too.
0: Yeah, because they remix the sound on those a lot of the time too, and they usually go back to the source audio if they can and whatnot. It's usually pretty good. So yeah. Yeah. Let's see, what else did I have? So this is a bit of sort of
1: old news that just surfaced recently where Mark Hamill tweeted about what he wanted Boba Fett's story to be.
0: Oh, I saw something about this. Yeah. <laughs> so He's been weird on social media lately. I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, but like he's been posting like he's he's either like very upset with the world or something is going on, but he's been like intense on social media lately yeah uh, i've noticed going
1: going through some shit maybe i don't know i know he's been a big uh big trump denier so
0: maybe he's just having a hard time which i can't say i blame him on but um nope nope this week has been uh it's been fascinating to watch that man crumble yeah i am i am enjoying it but it is kind of like can we just get him out of there before he really falls apart yeah but
1: what mark hamill wanted was uh, i guess at one point he had pitched to george lucas that Boba Fett be Luke's mother, um, <laughs> which would have added a very interesting dimension
0: to those movies for certain. That makes I guess so. That means Boba Fett and Darth Vader fucked. Yeah, in Mark Hamill's version. Yeah, and had Luke and Leah.
1: And then interesting. Yeah, and then and then Leia or yeah, Boba Fett is, is basically. Well, not killed by Luke, but killed during the
0: rescue that Luke coordinates. Yeah, so he kills his own mother. I mean, like, I mean, not really, obviously, but like, because we all know his mother was causes, that the, old death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, causes like, the death. yeah, uh, yeah, but like,
1: and if if that was the storyline, yeah,
0: I guess that's a. Uh... That's an interesting idea, Mark. I don't know really what to tell you. I kind of glad we got what we got. And and Boba
1: Fett was just hanging around Jabba's uh, palace and sail barge while his daughter or her daughter was or imprisoned, whatever, yeah. enslaved by Jabba. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. That's uh, that's pretty fucked up. So I think we're better off with what we got. As much as I will eventually, well, I guess we kind of shit on the prequels on a regular basis. Like <laughs> I will shit on the prequels. I'd rather you know Natalie Portman than whatever weird spider babies fucking would have come out of Boba Fett. probably. <laughs>
1: yeah. But yeah. So I guess Mark Hamill said that he wanted Boba Fett at like his mother, Boba Fett to be a double, a double agent working clandestinely for the rebels. I don't know. I can't. I, yeah. I don't
0: know. Really? That's <sighs>
1: <laughs> anyways, in other star Wars news, We got a whole bunch of uh, information this week about the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge land that is coming to Walt Disney World, including the names for both of the rides. But one of the really cool things is that John Williams, who sort of had said that he was kind of done with the Star Wars movies, is apparently recording and composed new scores and recording new scores for this land, probably for some of the rides and probably like area area music and stuff like that. So. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I thought so. But yeah, it's, so it's been some some really nice, posted like a little bit of a teaser video of it, Disney did, and it looks, it sounds beautiful. Nice. But they also yeah gave names to the two rides. The uh, Han Solo Millennium Falcon ride is going to be called Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. You actually make some choices in that ride, and uh, apparently that will affect how you're treated in the land. Uh, as you go out because they have like these RFID bracelets that everybody wears so like right. they track you as you go around and like know what you did in the ride and call you out on it if you fuck something up or something like that.
0: Huh <laughs> see that sounds kinda cool. That sounds like one of those like um what do you call it? Like one of those escape room like simulator kind of things. Mm-hmm. More than like a ride ride, which is I don't know how that's going to work in terms of volume, but like, it sounds, it's more interesting than just like, I'm going to sit here and they're going to show shit on a screen, I guess. Cause that's like, I else used you do Star Wars? I don't know.
1: Yeah. So in this one, they're, they're showing like, you actually are sitting in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon with like three that's other cool. people. And, you know, presumably they've got like just dozens of these cockpits and a big show building mm-hmm. kind of thing that everybody's mm-hmm. in. And you're like walking through the hallways of the Falcon and it looks really neat. Yeah. And then they also, the other ride is going to be called Rise of the Resistance, which looks to be more sort of a standard dark ride kind of thing. You, It takes place on a First Order starship and it puts riders in the middle of an epic
0: battle between the First Order and the Resistance. Oh, cool. So, so are they shooting like all new footage for this while they're like. Oh, yeah must be while they're shooting the movies, I guess, like they're just doing stuff.
1: Yeah, I don't know how much they're going to bring in the characters and actors from the movies into these, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're filming some stuff on those sets since they've you know got them all made up anyways. And, you know, obviously mm-hmm. they probably use a lot of the same costumes and production design and props and that kind of stuff as well, since they're all sort of
0: just sitting around right now anyways. That's true. That's kind of awesome. I have one question going back to the John Williams thing, though. Uh, So he scored all the Saga movies. I don't... He didn't do Rogue One and Solo, though, right? Like... I don't know if he did... Let's see... John Hmm. Williams... So my actual question is, like, does that mean, like, episode whatever... Theoretical episode 10 happens will be the first Star Wars like proper saga movie without John Williams score on it, like an original John Williams score. That's kind of
1: that is. Yeah. Cause I think he said that after episode nine is sort of when he's bowing out. I mean, I'm sure they'll still use the same. Uh, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. They'll the, use the themes. motifs and, yeah, stuff, the motifs right? and yeah. stuff, but they won't necessarily be arranged and recorded and conducted by him in particular.
0: That's crazy. Like that, that's a, uh that's a legacy that's ending kind of thing. That's, yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. So, cause he was like, that's the biggest continuity probably between the two eras of like, like the Lucas film, like George Lucas proper. And then Disney it was like, he stayed, which kind of, I mean, having the music be the same at the very least kind of ties a lot together. Right. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know how they, how they handle that, but I mean, already they've had like, he. I don't think he's been the exclusive composer on all of them. I think there's probably been people that have been filling in here and there kind of thing, but, yeah, because he's fairly like he's older like he's yeah he's be, what 80s uh late 70s at least no he's 86
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 well there you go let's
1: see what else did i have oh this one i'm not sure how i feel about so supergirl cast their lex Luthor, and it's oh jo- it's ducky it's yeah <laughs> I saw that. it's john cryer yeah. Uh so John Cryer, yeah, known for two and a half men,
0: for playing Ducky and Pretty in Pink. Yeah. How fucking old is he then? Because like they've had the mother on there. She He's almost he's almost forty. Yeah. Well he's gotta be older than forty. No, apparently Come on, man. He nope. was like he was like twenty two in nineteen eighty six or some shit.
1: Uh no, this says let's see. Uh oh my no, maybe that's the character. That they're talking about here.
0: Yeah. I- 65. So he would be, I don't know what that is. Uh I bet some 53 years old. Yeah. So yeah,
1: he's now 53. I need to look
0: up who plays. It's not Lena. So he's supposed to be sisters with Lena. Yeah. Well, so that makes them like 20 fucking years apart or something like that. Yeah. And then like, how yeah. old's the mom? Cause like she could have been like 10 or some shit when she had him. <laughs> like, I mean, just, it really fucks up the ages on that show pretty bad by throwing like a 50 year old dude as like <laughs> in the middle of all this. Stuff. I mean,
1: especially John Cryer doesn't look that old. Like I, I could say I would say John Cryer could pass for like mid 40s or mid-40s. something like that. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. It just seems weird when you really like put the ages together. You're like, that doesn't make any fucking That tracks like to the sum of zero. Yeah. It's just weird to me because I
1: don't see him as playing a villainous character. So it'll be interesting to see how they play that.
0: That is true, because like, what else has he been in? I mean, like, we all know him as Ducky because we're all '80s kids. But like, what's and the, I didn't like, watch a single in? episode
1: of Two and a Half Men.
0: That's what he was in. Right? It was Two and a Half Men. That was like his other thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that shit fucking sucks. Like, I might, <laughs> I never watched an episode of that. Yeah. Oh, but apparently,
1: he's got history playing DC characters. He voiced. He's done voices. Yeah. He right? voiced Felix yeah. Faust in the current Justice League series, Justice League Action. What else has he done? Some stuff on he apparently did some guest roles on NCIS I'm trying to look at like actual big stuff that he's did, but it looks like it's pretty much two and a half men. And yeah, I don't see anywhere in here where he would be playing
0: like a, a villainous character. So, well, let's have to see how he does. But I mean, like, I mean, it's cool that they're actually bringing in Alex Luther. That's interesting. To it me. is the second time
1: he's played a Luther though. Well, what other the Luther? Did he he be- played Lenny Luther in Superman four,
0: a quest for peace. Oh shit, he did. I forgot about that. <laughs> he played like Luther's nephew or some dumb shit, right? Yeah, it was his nephew. Yeah. Oh my god, that's hilarious. I completely <laughs> forgot about that. Well,
1: I don't blame you for yeah. forgetting about. Man, I think that was like an intentional, for a quest yeah. for
0: peace. Yeah, it was an intentional forget, I think, more than anything. But
1: yeah. Yikes and let's see oh so apparently we have a very bad track record for killing famous people you guys all did a good job of tributing stan last week and now the fucking internet is just trying to cash in on stan which is enraging me but (laughs) but we also mentioned uh princess bride that same week that's two episodes back now yeah and then this past week william goldman who wrote princess bride died apparently we need to just stop fucking, fucking talking about like talking about people. people on the yeah, stop stop talking about old people on the podcast because they die shortly thereafter.
0: That sucks. Yeah, I love that movie. The movie's one of my favorites.
1: See, I never watched it until I was a little older, and I, I appreciate it, but I don't have the same nostalgia for it that a lot of people do, and I definitely never read the book. I, I understand that Princess Bride the Book is one of those books that almost every school kid in the US reads but it was never part of Canadian curriculum that I had ever heard of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I never read the book. I just saw the movie. I was just, I don't know. I was fond of the movie when I was a kid. Now, like the sense of humor to it works Mm -hmm. for me. So I've always enjoyed that, that, that movie quite a bit. So it's sad to hear that he's passed, but I mean, like, I mean, obviously had a decent career, so good guy. Yeah, good on him. So anyway, I figured this out. Brenda Strong plays Lena Luther. She is 58 years old, which means (laughs) she was five when she had Ducky. (laughs) And then, <laughs> and then we're going to go. You're crossing the streams here, Mark. 20 years later, she had the Katie McGrath. Lena. Lena. Yeah. yeah. So that makes no sense. That's awesome. Good. Good. <laughs> Either way, I do appreciate Katie McGrath just visually, at the yeah. very least. So. <laughs> as as a being. Yes. As a human being, she is amazing. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. This one is a
1: weird one. I've only got a couple more here, but since we talk about Marvel so much, I thought I would bring up the fact that the chairman of Marvel Entertainment, Ike Perlmutter, who is a notorious political conservative, was named in a bribery trial of the New York Police Department this past week over
0: a gun permit and movie tickets. (sighs) Um, Ike Perlmutter, also kind of a notorious asshole, so like... (laughs) No surprise here whatsoever. And they have been, we've been talking about this, this little story for like the entire year where like they've been trying to get him out of power over all that MCU stuff. Like hence the Netflix. Cause he's just, yeah, his
1: name is just toxic at this point.
0: So like, I bet you this is not going to hurt Kevin Feige's chances of, you know, wresting control of all the other stuff back from him going forward. So.
1: Ultimately, it's it's I mean, it's not like super scandalous, but it basically talks about Perlmutter bribing a police officer with like presumably Marvel movie tickets so that he could get his gun license renewed faster or yeah. 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 Uh, Scumbag, scumbag. What are you going to do? (laughs) Finally, we haven't even got uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season six yet, but it's already been renewed for season seven. Has it really? Man, yeah, people like that show, eh? I don't know. Yeah, there's That's apparently a yeah, there's apparently a big audience out there for it. I still watch it. It's had some good stuff. It's yeah. not something that I watch really closely, but my hope is that it will start to get more integrated back into the yeah. uh, cinematic universe, and there'll start to be a little more crossover there, and they can maybe deal with some loose ends from some of the movies and that sort of thing. Cause that was when that show was at its best.
0: Yeah. Like the winter soldier fallout and stuff like that was probably the last yeah. time where I was like, I had to watch the show, yeah. which is like the end of season one. So not doing yeah. a great job, keeping yeah. me interested. Yeah. That'd be cool. <laughs> but especially seeing that I can never remember the actor's name, but that agent Coulson with a full head of hair, no less they've, there's been pictures of him on set uh, for captain Marvel. Like mm-hmm. with the with the dot, they're obviously deaging him digitally because he's got the dots on his face for the, the the tracking. Yeah, but uh yeah, he's been he's running around set, so like it would be nice, like especially if he's back in the movies, maybe like that can help some movement and get like the shows integrated. Because
1: yeah,
0: I mean, there's talk about Daredevil season four, but like maybe they just decide to bring it over to Disney streaming and give them a lot more money, or. Mm. I don't know. Do a limited series and have him team up with Spider Man, like I've been wanting for years and years and years. Or a limited series with like him and uh, Nick Fury or something like that. <sighs> even like him meeting all the main MCU characters, like Daredevil's interactions, like in the comics with the other characters, because his world's so much more kind of grounded. That mm-hmm. he like his reaction to like even just seeing Spider Man, because Spider Man shows up in his stories fairly frequently. It's sometimes like when Peter's telling Matt about like what's gone on in his life, Matt's just like, I thought my life was fucking disastrous. But, like, <laughs> Jesus, thank God. Yeah. You know, like, at least my stuff is like what is like the extreme version of what happens to normal people. You have like alien symbiotes and like dudes <laughs> on gliders coming after you and like fucking clones and-, and, yeah, and clones and all kinds of nonsense. The only thing, the bad, the worst thing that happened to me is my ex-girlfriend got stabbed in the chest and then brought back to life. So like, yeah yeah I don't know but yeah that's the kind of interaction that I always kind of want to see in those movies and you get it from yeah. like the Avengers and stuff but there's all there's so many other characters that I want to see interact that way that
1: yeah I'd love to see Clark Clark Gregg back interacting with those big guns again and then some yeah, of the newer characters that haven't have been introduced since he sort of was quote unquote killed off and is yeah. now sort of you know behind the scenes or whatever plus he's got he's sort of got powers now too because he's got a, an artificial arm.
0: Oh, does he really? Is
1: like shield tech. Uh, oh, like so. They thing. so they gave him the misty. Is what they gave him. <laughs> That's Yeah, yeah. Or or the claw. I guess if you want to yeah. call it that. Or even yeah.
0: uh, even uh, Winter Soldier. I guess has that mechanical arm. Yeah, thing, so yeah, not an uncommon yeah. occurrence, apparently, in the MCU, losing a fucking arm. eh? like a lot. No. Of people <laughs> yeah, left, right, and center. <laughs> so. But that was all the news that I had for this week. Unless you got anything to add? No, there's not. It's been uh, it's been a pretty slow week. So. I mean, just watching those, uh, just waiting for those Black Friday sales to come on. You know what I mean? That's basically Uh, it for this week. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to miss that. Not that I'm ever really a big Friday shopper. I'm usually sleeping off pie. Well, I mean, like, I like to uh, hit the online stuff and see what I can purloin for myself. So, yeah. All right. Well, with that, let's move on
1: to our Geek of the Week. Geeky, geeky. It's always sad. That's the saddest part yeah. of when Chris is not around, is that we don't have her to help me with Sting. Yeah, because I'm not. No,
0: that's not a thing I do. <laughs> so. so,
1: listeners, this is the section of the episode where we discuss the nerdiest things we've done in the past seven days or so. So, Mark, uh, you already gave us a little bit of a hint, but go more into detail about your Geek of the Week.
0: Well, yeah. So, like, like we were talking about at the top of the episode, uh, I was in Vegas, Las Vegas, in Nevada for the weekend for my sister's wedding on Saturday night. So, uh, we flew in. I flew in Friday morning and like was just kind of like it was like a whirlwind from there. We basically it was just like just go, go, go. So got in, met up with everybody, had dinner, kind of looked around, did the show for did a little walking around, just kind of get in the feel of what's going on. And then my we went and saw the Prince tribute, Purple Rain, which was fucking amazing, except for the crowd who were just sitting there watching. And the the reason why I give the the guy who plays Prince in the, the tribute, uh, his name is. Jason Tanner, I believe, so much props. He was like, as the crowd was not reacting, he would get pissed off and start throwing Prince like shade at the crowd. <laughs> so he was giving them shit for like, and stuff like that. Yeah, in character. And I was like, this is fucking genius, right? <laughs> because he's like, coming up and being like, who likes to rock and roll in this house? And like everybody would cheer and he's like, you're all fucking liars. And just walk up, like walk off, kind of like walk away a little bit. I was like, oh, I love this shit. That's exactly how Princeton reacts react to a shit crap. Good on you, buddy. You're doing, you're doing God's work. Where's word. that, uh, that show? Tropicana. So downtown? yeah, we with the Tropicana, but it was yeah. oh, I love yep. right on the strip. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, so that was like, that was a lot of fun. They even had like Morris Day impersonators, <laughs> like Morris Day and Jerome come out and like do bits. Mm-hmm. Like, they do songs and stuff. They do two song, two-time two songs, but they also do, like, bits. They come out and, like, throw shade at Prince, and Prince throws shade back at them. And, like, Apollonia comes out and sings a song, and, like, they do that. What's that song that's in, like, the strip club scene of Beverly Hills Cop, Nasty Girl? Oh, like, some, they actually have somebody come out and perform that song, like, with the other dancers and stuff. So that was really cool. Saturday was mostly, mostly kind of wrapped up in, like, wedding prep and stuff like that, because everybody's running around trying to get organized. So that was kind of a wash. We did end up at... Where the hell were we that night? I can't remember anymore, never mind. So <laughs> the next day was more when I did more shit. So like we did, did the Avengers station, which was actually in the hotel we were staying at, so at Treasure Island, which is basically like a little guided tour and they just kind of show you screen used props. So like a ton of the Iron Man, actual Iron Man armors are like in there. Cap like cap shield, the actual motorcycle he rides, like all that kind of it's, stuff. It's just set there. up like a it's, like a remote shield station or something like that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so if like, you go in and like, yeah, they give you badges and like the first section, like the, the the tour guide who's just like the most awkward human being of all time, <laughs> like brings you into a room where like Maria Hill comes on screen. And he's like, oh, Maria Hill's gonna give you a briefing. It's really funny though, because she hasn't shown up for work in a couple months. And like, I, <laughs> I'm the only person in the fucking room who was like, ha, good one, bud. And like, everybody else is like, I don't get it. What, what does that mean? It's like nobody else stayed through the credits of Infinity War apparently. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so like they do that and like it's, it's kitschy, right? Like there's some goofy like touristy stuff, but like just being able to get that close to some of the screen used props, like they even had the uh the Vita Ray chamber and stuff like that from mm. uh First Avenger was yeah, like yeah, it made behind sense, glass. Yeah. And like all that, all the cool props and so like you get really up close and like see how much detail is actually in them. They even had the like everything. You can go on my Instagram underscore willette, and like look at every all the pictures I took anyway, but they had basically everything you could kind of want in there. Um not the only thing I noticed was lacking was like newer stuff it was all very like kind of ant-man and back it wasn't a lot of like Doctor yeah strange cause i think all, they uh... opened
1: that like three or four years ago or something like yeah. that so yeah probably haven't updated it much since then
0: yeah so no strange no like i mean obviously no like panther. the infinity world characters no black panther no spider-man which is my big disappointment is not having spidey in there but what are you gonna do you haven't had enough fucking spider-man lately no man i can always use more spider-man <laughs> i'm dying for uh into the spider-verse that's like a couple weeks away now yeah so uh yeah, so we did that. Uh the adventure Station was a lot of fun. That night I went to the Luxor and Saw the Bodies exhibit, which was mm. as a artist like who studies anatomy and stuff like that, it was fucking fascinating to just be able to get that close and like yeah see the muscles all stretched out and all that kind of stuff. it it's gross kind of, but at the same time I was just like completely fascinated and was I only got a like ninety minute window to kind of be in and out. So I would like to go back and kind of spend a day and take a ton of pictures and like maybe bring a sketchbook and do some doodling and shit like that while I'm in there.
1: Yeah.
0: Other than that, like you just are up and down the strip all weekend. Like I went into every casino I could like, I saw, we did went down to glitter Gulch and did like the whole, like the old strip kind of thing. The first night I was there, that's what we did Friday night also was go to a uh, glitter Gulch after the Prince show. Oh, is that yeah, I the, was fucking... I
1: haven't been to glitter. Gulch it's the, before. it's the
0: old, it's the old strip. What do they call it? Fairmont, Fremont, Fremont, Fremont street. street. Fremont okay. street. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. It used to be called glitter Gulch. It's the old strip. Yeah. But yeah, that was, so that was kind of cool. And like, they've got that, they've got it all tarped off with a huge, huge, huge LCD panel that runs across the entire length of the street, which is yeah. really neat. And they have concerts, like they have stages set up at like each, like one in the middle and like one on each end. And they mm-hmm. had like, they had a hair metal band playing like warrant, like legit actual warrant was playing on one end. And they had like a cover band in the middle and like on the far side, just a bunch of hip hop clubs and stuff like that. That's where like the real CD side of it is. So yeah. But uh, yeah, it was really cool. Like I, I, haven't been to Vegas in like a long time, and like I've only been a couple times, very like kind of fly and fly out, real quick kind of things. So it was nice to have like a couple days where like yeah, I had the wedding in the middle of it, but I the days around it, I could kind of yeah, some time to explore see everything. Shit. Yeah, and it's a cool town. It is like so fucking big though. Like just walk, like you can't walk the strip. Like yeah. going from hotel to hotel takes like an hour. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's so fucking <laughs> big. It's crazy. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I went to go meet my. So, like, we were at Treasure Island, and right across the street is the Venetian, which is where my cousin was staying in one of the towers. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, come meet me for a drink. I'm like, Sure. So I like walked over there. I'm like, it Took me a like, fucking hour to walk just to get to the <laughs> lobby of the Venetian from the like from my room at Treasure Island. So I yeah, because like,
1: they're all, set, all right. set back so far from the street. Yeah. You've got to do those yeah. overpasses
0: because you can't walk yeah. across the streets. And yeah, it's it's so it's pretty crazy, but like, it was very cool. And like that, that city, like, There's like just debauchery to get into in like every little corner of it. So, like, I was, I was, I felt pretty at home. So, I had a good time this weekend. I don't know if that's like geeky, but it was, I did some geeky shit inside of, you know, doing Vegas. So, it was kind of cool. Nice. Yep. I I love Vegas. I haven't been and it's
1: been, well, I guess just three years since I was there last, but uh, you should go. Yeah. I like, it's Robot Dance does Vegas. (laughs) That, um, there's plenty of nerdy stuff in Vegas that we could get up to Uh there for sure. Yep, we'd lose Christy in like ten seconds. <laughs> well, at least in that case. Oh no, she yeah. We just have to make sure she actually fucking has data on her phone
0: this time. That's true. That's true. <laughs> unlike unlike Dragon Con. Although to be fair, once you get into the casinos, you have Wi Fi all the time because you can just get up to the free that's in there. So true. There is that. Yeah.
1: Nice. My geek of the week. I sort of took a break from the Disney animated film rewatch that I had been doing uh, over october because i was watching mostly horror movies but i sort of started that back up so i have been watching a lot of disney animated movies the last couple weeks and so right now i'm in like that i'm watching them chronologically so i'm in that stretch of like the 60s and 70s right now where they're maybe not as beloved but they're ones that i watched a lot as a kid so it's stuff like the jungle book which has maybe my favorite soundtrack of any disney movie 101 Dalmatians and like Robin Hood and...
0: Are those not beloved movies? Yeah, I like those movies. I I I mean like 101 Dalmatians in particular is like a favorite of mine but like...
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean there's stuff in there that's maybe not as beloved or not as like You know, people have like a lot of nostalgia for the really like early stuff, like yeah, uh, snow Snow White and And Dumbo and Bambi and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. and then but then some of the other stuff that's in this year is stuff like The Rescuers, which is again a movie I watched a shitload when I was a kid, but is not like people don't call you know consider that like a classic Disney movie or like the Aristocats or the Sword in the Stone and stuff like that. But yeah, those are movies I I grew up with.
0: Yeah. Well, same. Like I saw those movies growing up too, obviously. So it's, it's interesting. I, just, I didn't realize that there was like a, like a Disney, like, I mean, obviously there is for everything, but I didn't realize that like Disney nerds even like specified periods that they preferred and shit like that. Like that was not something I was aware of. I well, guess. I should have been like, it's something I should have known that like, because yeah. we do it for everything. So like, yeah, whatever. and I'm sure we're going to get into it tonight with our topic of the show. Cause it's yeah, the same <laughs> kind of shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can. It, it's
1: almost delineated by the directors because uh, Wolfgang Reitherman um, was uh, directed, all of them basically between like 101 Dalmatians, which was 1961. And like, yeah, The Rescuers was the last one that he directed, which was 1977. So he directed all those in between, either directed or co-directed. And then if you go earlier than that, it's different guys. And then if you go later than that, it's different people. And so okay. you can kind of delineate it that way, but. Yeah, and and like I said, I I think part of it is that a lot of those earlier movies were more of those, like, princess movies that I wasn't quite, you know, I wasn't I didn't identify with quite as much whereas Mm. in that area, they're more adventure movies and I could get a little bit more
0: into them and wasn't... Name recognition on those earlier movies is probably a little better, too, because most of them are grim fairy tales that have been converted kind of thing so Mm -hmm. you're going to have, like, you know Sleeping Beauty, you know Cinderella, you know Snow, like, you know that story Yeah. Maybe not then, but, like, now in your, like, you have to know it now because it's just pop culture, right? Yeah. I think. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, it's been nice. And then I'll probably
1: continue that on with into the eighties next, which is a real, well, I won't say a dark time, but the movies start coming a lot less frequently with like Fox and the Hound is like 81 and then you don't get another until 85 and that's the black cauldron and, and great mouse detective and Oliver and company eighties are a dark time for Disney. That's true, and then you get into like the second sort of golden age with like Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Lion King and And Aladdin, yeah, Aladdin, yeah, yeah, Yeah. cool, yeah. So yeah, with that we can move on to our meat of the episode:
0: prime Canadian meat. Goddamn right.
1: (laughs) So Mark and I are using this opportunity of Christy being away to finally do something we have sort of tangent into, into many times on the podcast before but now we're finally we'll probably continue to do so <laughs> in the future
0: regardless of how long this episode goes exactly so.
1: but uh now we're finally giving ourselves a chance to really get into the nitty-gritty of 90s can rock you hear my neck cracking i'm getting ready guys this is <laughs> yeah crack knuckles let's get ready for this yep let's fucking do it because <laughs> this is really one of if not the era that mark and i think probably identify them most closely with in terms of music it's really the stuff that was coming out when in our like formative music taste kind of years and yeah, absolutely you know high a school lot of them are still bands i follow to this day so yeah. so i i didn't really have i didn't think we were going to need any questions or anything like that i mean we've already talked at great length about a lot of albums and stuff from artists like. Matthew Goodman, Tea Party, Sloan. I'm going to, like I said, I want to kind of keep this in that 90s sphere because we could easily go like into that like early 2000s indie sphere, but
0: that's a whole separate conversation, I think. And I'm, and I'm a broke and I'm like, I've broken back. I've gone backwards from that, that the 90s scene and like kind of, like I know the stuff like the blue rodeos and like the early hip and all that kind mm. of stuff. Like I'm into that stuff too. Like that stuff I listened to that fed into this scene. So yeah, there's a, it's a big, it's interesting. Cause like there's never been a, there's probably been a, a there's a couple decent little books written about like periods of this scene, but there's never been like somebody who's sat. I'm sure there they're and, like, written by Alan Cross. Alan Cross has never like done like a big book. That's just like the entire, like just do all of Canadian alternative rock. Like, I feel like that should be mm-hmm. his magnum opus. Like that's what he should be working on right now. It's just like, just tell the story from, like, wherever you want to start in, like, the 60s or whatever to, like, I guess now when it sucks and it's just, like, Drake and Justin Bieber, I guess, or something. But. Yeah, I'm so sad about the, like, in, like, the past, like, 10 years, the Canadian music scene has just gone to shit. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been, well, I mean, like, the people who were, who were around are still around, but it's, like, nothing good new has come out, and, like, there are bands yeah. that we'll talk about in, like, in that 2000s era that, like probably would have been bigger if they would come out a couple years earlier like i've talked about the constantines endlessly and like i will continue to talk mm-hmm. about the constantines but they would have fit in better probably in like the 90s era where like you and i were really into it as opposed to like yeah falling into that pitchforky kind of arts and crafts scene that they kind of got lumped in with and they're not mm-hmm. that band at all so yeah. yeah
1: but yeah so let's see i just want to start just going through bands from that period there are some that we haven't really talked about very much one of the big ones for me is is and still is was then and still is big sugar okay nice uh i it is just such a weird mix of sounds like they were even within that scene kind of doing their own thing yeah so it was this weird mix of like blues rock and like reggae dub influence Uh, Because they did have like a couple
0: Jamaican guys in the band. That bass player passed away not too long ago too. I don't remember his name, but like sadly, like the guy who kind of solidified their sound for me was was always that grimy bass that he played, and he's yeah uh, since passed, and that's kind of sad. I wish I I got to look.
1: Yeah, their rhythm section was just rock fucking solid all the time, and let Gordy Johnson, who was the uh, lead singer and guitarist or lead guitarist, just sort of play around over top of it. But yeah, the uh, bass player was trying to look it up. God damn it. Uh... Yeah, me too. Um, I I know that they have a saxophonist uh, whose name is Mr. Chill. Uh, Gary
0: Lowe. Gary Lowe is his name. Uh, Yeah. Died at 64 after a battle of cancer. Actually, this year, July 8th, this year he passed away. Or that's when it was reported on the CBC. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I have a lot of experience with Big Sugar. They were one of the first band, first Canadian bands that I really got into. They played at our high school. I saw them, I saw them probably three or four times and I don't go to as many concerts as Mark. So they're one of the bands that I've probably seen live. One of the most bands I've seen the most times live is fuck. And they're a band that where I have a lot of, I have a lot of love for a lot of their B-sides just as much as some of their singles. Um, like there's some really good B-sides like uh, stuff like all over now and girl watcher that are really
0: good. Yeah. And they also did a lot of really amazing covers. Uh, I'm actually listening to their cover of dear Mr. Fantasy right now. Uh, which yeah. Is so amazing. They, yeah. they do it. An- I
1: prefer their cover of Traffic's "Dear Mr. Fantasy to the original by far. Um, I a hundred
0: percent agree. And I'm not even like a big sugar. Like I kind of find Gordy Johnson a little creepy. He's kind of, he's kind of grungy. Yeah. He's kind of a greasy, he's kinda, greasy he's dude. He's kind of a greasy dude. So like, <laughs> I'm like having, like I always, I've had the, I don't want to say misfortune, but like I've had the experience of interacting with a lot of the musicians that we're going to talk about tonight. And like, he was one who <laughs> like, he just put me off real quick. You know what I mean? So I was like, all right. Yeah. But like, I can understand. That. Uh, Probably still one of the best mm-hmm. albums, like that came out in that little span. Like I fucking love that record so goddamn much. What's the one? was the single on it? Digging a hole, God, that a hole, fucking yeah. bass riff. I almost feel like I should yeah. do this side A side B style, like mention a song and like play a clip from it. Like, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And that's yeah, they had just amazing bass, really good fucking guitar sound as well. Yeah, like sort of classic like blues guitar-y but a little bit of a little bit more like crunch and and twang to it yeah. than your classic blues guitar but yeah their their hemi vision was a great album that was 96 yep. 500 pounds is a uh really is their 94 album which is kind of before they broke big yeah there's some really great stuff on there as See, well I
0: actually like i like hemi vision a lot because just like it's that era like it was just part of that scene to me so much but like the 500 mm-hmm. pounds album is actually like the better it's the scuzzier record and like for a band yeah. like this that sound works better for them so like If I'm going to go listen to Big Sugar, I'm probably going to flip through some of the singles, like, if I had my way Mm -hmm. and, like, digging a hole and all that kind of stuff. But, like, 500 pounds is, like, that's, if I'm going to put a record on, that's the record I put on, because I just want to sit and, like, wallow in the scuzz that he's able to. Yeah. Yeah put forward you know what i mean it's- yeah it very much is like a dive y kind
1: oh, of album yeah. like yeah. you feel like you're in a shitty bar where the floors are sticky and like you're drinking cheap beer and kind of like, thing. and just- it's like
0: just just barely cool beer you know what i mean like it's not cold yeah. it's kind of yeah. shitty yeah and
1: it's and it's smoky as hell like you can just barely see everybody and probably drinking labat 50 or some like real <laughs> shitty <pissy laughs> kind of beer like yeah yeah, yeah. And their cover of BTO's Let It Ride is really fucking good as well. Yeah. And has like this amazing dual guitar solo that I want to say I have not been able to verify this online because
0: these are Canadian bands. Nobody really has a whole lot of information online about them. Yeah, it's hard to find information about a lot of this stuff. Like unless you were there kind of paying attention while it happened and remember it happening like I Mm -hmm. do a lot of the time, shit just kind of comes and goes and like just disappears on it because yeah 10,000 people care and like they only care to the point where they'll (laughs) buy an album not like oh the band broke up I give a shit kind of thing yeah it's like five of us and it's usually me I'm one of those five
1: yeah but I'm pretty sure the other guitarist on that was the lead guitarist from government mule oh okay yeah that makes sense yeah and so you got this beautiful like Gordy sort of scuzzy blues guitar with this like really whaley like amazing jam guitar yeah. going back and forth against each other. Yeah. And that is one probably to this day, one of my favorite guitar solos of all time. in that let it ride version. Yes. Yeah. And I, I just I always associate Gordy with that double neck Gibson.
0: Yeah. That always oh, yeah. was so cool to me in high school. I was like,
1: that's fucking
0: awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he wasn't the guy who originated that for me because, like, I saw a lot of Led Zeppelin concert footage back in the day. So it was always Jimmy Page that I, like, picture with the mm-hmm. double neck. Well, Jimmy Page and Slash are kind of the ones I picture with the double neck. But Gordy Johnson, he he handled it with care. So he did, a good, he did good work with it. Yeah. I was, like, seeing them live. I didn't see them a ton, but I saw them a couple times. And they were, like, they were just fun to watch kind of thing. Yeah. Usually hang as far back away from the stage so I didn't get any grease on me at the same time. But... <laughs> Gordy Johnson always had, yep, that greasy oh, like yeah. shoulder length hair. I wasn't even sure he had it like he had it basically like mine is right now, which is like that kind of like hipster slick thing. But he had it like in the nineties, yeah. like way before any of us started wearing it like that. But uh, yeah, he was that guy for for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But
1: I I do miss, and they're they're still active. I mean, they I don't put it a a lot of albums but they still play
0: like live shows and shit like that yeah, and... i just i just got an announcement for them playing uh in the next couple of weeks or in the next couple months i should say so you, they, yeah. you pop up here and there so yep when you get home we'll go we'll take a show in how does that sound sounds good to me yeah it's been probably 20 years since i've fucking seen i it's probably <laughs> big been, sugar live it's been 15 since i saw them probably yeah nice yeah they were around a lot like when that album came out like Hemivision vision came out and they just kind of disappeared like I, you would yeah. hear of them coming around but i was like eh whatever that's fine. Yeah. There's other stuff, and I think
1: hate. they did have a little bit of crossover success into the U.S. as well, especially like with that Hemi Vision yeah. album. They got may- maybe not like whole U.S., but kind of that border town. Yeah, kind of same. Maybe you know, same. Not necessarily the same level that the Hip did, yeah. but,
0: but a lot of like, a years. lot of these bands have that kind of success. Like I know, like the Tea Party, Matthew Good have that kind of like weird cross-border. Like because people like where we where I grew up, I should say, is actually like the weirdest thing too because like we have there's a bunch of rock stations in southern Ontario that cross the border in mm. Buffalo so like mm. all these Buffalo fans are all huge fans of like at the hip was kind of the center point of a lot of it but like you would still get Matthew good shows going across the border tea party shows happen across the border like I saw moist across the border a couple of times like just they had enough oh, crossover appeal. yeah exactly right <laughs> that they were always able to kind of do that so you would get border towns. so like Seattle was one Chicago was one Detroit obviously a huge one Buffalo a huge one <laughs> Um, yeah, like american american markets would glom onto some of our stuff but they never break anywhere else really like you'd get little pockets of people here and there like i remember uh being in utah and somebody recognizing the matthew good shirt i was wearing and i me being like completely fucking flabbergasted by that occurrence so yeah yeah
1: yeah i don't know how you want to do this you just want to you want to throw one out that we can talk
0: about uh, what else i mean like what else can we talk about here like there's I'm trying to think of other bands that I, because we obviously, I've talked about a ton of these bands. And if you're listening to the other podcasts, you've heard me talk about them ad nauseum also. So, <laughs> I mean, obviously, Matthew Good is like basically neck and neck for my favorite musician ever with, with Pearl Jam. So, like, he's a huge deal. Still touring. Good on him. Yeah. Some shows coming up uh, in March, actually, in the new year. Uh, same with the Tea Party. Got shows at the end of December that are lining up pretty quick. So, it's two at the day and fourth. Matthew Good played for me into a lot
1: of that, like, That loner feel like that Weezer kind of it was a little it was a little maybe I don't know how to compare it but it was just a little bit different from Weezer but
0: still had a lot of the same themes and vibes and it has the themes but I find that like Weezer tends to be popular Matt tends to like exist in the dower more than uh, I feel like yeah. River always like played it like a joke. Matt didn't necessarily always play it like a joke. And as his career has gone on, it's become less and less. Like the humor comes through less and less. Like yeah. he's just writing like good music now. So and
1: Weezer, Weezer had a little bit more of that like uh kitsch and like throwback like sixties vibe. Whereas yeah, Matt, Matt was, was more just like straight like grungier kind of alt rock, rock, yeah. Which is funny because yeah.
0: he's like a folk guy. You know what I mean? Like he comes from like a singer songwriter. Like I'm just going to stand there and play guitar. Hence all these acoustic players mm-hmm. that we get now. But yeah, when they, when they broke into the band stuff, they just, they came out all fucking guns blazing. as like a pretty heavy alternative rock yeah. band, which was just, I mean, it spoke to me in 1997 or whatever. So, and I've stuck with them ever since. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could handle Matt Good
1: Acoustic. I don't know if it would play for me the same way. Cause so much of it for me is just that sort of wall of sound, yeah. like, you know, guitars layered on top of guitars kind of sound for them.
0: Yeah. Uh, It depends, like his solo stuff tends to lean more on like him writing on in that solo acoustic kind of way. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. he's done, he's been doing the acoustic tours since the band split up in 2000. So like every second or third tour tends to be one of those like acoustic shows or acoustic tours. So I'm kind of used to them now. I like it. I think Mm -hmm. he's, I still think he's got one of the best voices that Canada's ever produced, like just in terms of the quality of it. So I love, I love just being able to hear him in a guitar, like just him singing is like and his voice is very expressive. Yeah, so like I love yeah. listening to the guy sing. So I'm all, I'm always in for those acoustic shows. I'm sure I'll drag you to one at some point. It's not like I'm ever going to stop going to see these shows. so <laughs> I'm sure when yeah, I get he's to still like, still got kids that need to be put through college. He's got yeah, he's got two kids and they're young still. Like they're still pre ten. <laughs> so like he's got to put those kids through college, and I will gladly help him do that because love him to death. I'm trying to think. I just want to talk about something that was not like one of the bands that I've rambled on about ad nauseum before i had an idea um where
1: we could potentially go through this from a associated acts point of view because there's a lot of intertwining between between these bands and who knows it better than mark <laughs> who knows it better than mark so for instance i'm just going I, I don't necessarily know the links between these but on matthew good band there's links to
0: uh the odds yeah okay uh, the odds are a Vancouver band who Matt's who played, uh, so Matt's drummer post Matthew Goodband, Pat was from the odds. He stole them from them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, odds are awesome. Actually, uh, this stuff, Yeah, they're a Vancouver band, that a little more were, power poppy, a little more power poppy, but also like they, they do some pretty good, like, uh, there's a song. What is it called? Oh, I would be your man. That is like, that kind of played the ballad side of stuff too. It's mm. a very, very good song. But yeah, there's stuff like heterosexual man and like uh, eat my brain. Which eat my on,
1: brain, I fucking love that. Yeah, song. eat my brain's
0: fucking like a classic can rock song. If you were putting a can rock set list together and eat my brain's not on it, you're yeah. not from this country. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but like yeah. someone who good, good word feeling that album was just outstanding. Oh, yeah. yeah, good weird feelings, amazing. Cause that's the one. that is that the one with? Yeah, it's got. Uh, it's, it's also eat got my brain brain. and. Um, what else is on that? Oh, I Would Be Your Man and Satisfied her on that one, too, Yeah, which are all great songs. I always go yeah. uh, to Bedbugs. No, sorry, uh, Nest, the one with someone who was cool and yeah. uh, Make You Mad on it. Because those two yeah. songs were like, the, yeah, that's where you get the power pop. and like Man, they're, I always found their lyricism to be very good. They're very cl- mm-hmm. clever writers. Whoever was writing the lyrics, I wish I could remember their names now. Um, they're all very nice guys, and they're still kind of active in the scene, so like, you still pick them up. They produce a fair bit of stuff now, like in the Vancouver yeah. area, but yeah, they were uh they were a great band. Uh saw them a couple times and then yeah, Matt uh Pilfer Pat for like a decade. Uh he's got a different guy <laughs> now, but he was he yeah. with them from Avalanche to I wanna say somewhere around hospital music, I think. So like from two thousand and two well, actually since the band broke up in two thousand and one and then hospital music was two thousand and seven or eight. So he was on that tour. And then Ian came back for a run. So
1: yeah i never never did see the odds live but i don't imagine i can't imagine they would have put on like a crazy show or anything
0: like that it's a funny story i'm going to see them in a couple weeks uh oh, yeah they're opening for the pursuit of happiness who are another canadian uh, rock band, it's like an 80s can rock band so not exactly something we would be talking about they did get played on the radio a lot when i was growing up so that's why i'm like i'm so fond of them because of that yeah um, and we've talked about them and like i always felt like they were kind of like Bands like The Odds or Sloan who do that very power poppy thing. I've always felt like, owed a huge fucking debt to the Pursuit of Happiness. Like like a huge fucking debt to the Pursuit of Happiness that yeah. um, maybe never really got paid back. But Wilberg's Berg's written books and it's just like kind of can rock royalty now. So yeah, when they, I saw that, the I was like, oh, The Pursuit of Happiness is playing. I'm like, that'd be interesting. Like, I might go see that. But then when they were like, oh, yeah, the Odds are opening for us. I'm like, fuck, yes, I'm in to see that goddamn show. <laughs> That's two bands yeah. I loved growing up, so that was well worth 30 bucks or whatever it was to get those tickets, so nice, good times. I'm trying to think where else we can go from the odds. Vancouver bands. I mean, Moist technically is a Vancouver band. They got mm. their start out there, and I'm not. I saw Moist a lot. No, they were,
1: they were never one that I had a big thing for either. Moist no. was always, always struck me as more like jock rock than anything.
0: I always see Moist was Eric's band. Like, Eric was obsessed mm. with Moist, and I therefore saw them 10 times, and I was never like, I never hated Moist. I was always just like, they are the, I don't even think jock is the best way. I, they were always so soft compared to everybody else. Like they were always like, and this is going to sound sexist because this is the 90s. So like, forgive me, but they were always the chick band out of all of them. It felt like yeah. he's pretty and all their stuff was always very like felt softer. There was some, uh, some high school slow dance songs in there. Absolutely. Uh, right? in their For sure. Yeah. And they they always, I always felt like when you contrasted them against the bands that they toured with, they always kind of came off as the softer band, like, cause they would tour with. I remember seeing them like touring with the Headstones and just being like, that's a weird fucking lineup. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we should probably talk about cause Hugh Dillon is amazing, but yeah, like they w- i was trying to think who else I saw moist. Like Eric dragged me to tons of those fucking shows. And like, I'd not to say drag cause like I had a good time, but it was like moist was not my band. I'd rather be going to see Matt or the tea party or something like that. But like they would play with Matthew Goodband or the tea party. And I would just be like, there's so much like, softer than these guys are like why don't those two bands tour together i want to see those two bands play a hard <laughs> show not moist and then you know kind of thing but, yeah yeah they were like they were always around so there's, there's tons of those bands that were like around at that time i mother earth's one like that i was much more fond of until they kicked edwin out and stuff like that so
1: yeah i loved i mother earth too they yeah. uh yeah they were they were
0: i always for whatever reason got them really confused
1: with uh Lady piece. Stone Temple no Stone Temple Pilots because no. they they had sort of that same kind of uh
0: like Grungy sound
1: grungy and sort of that uh eclectic like hallucinogenic kind of like feel yeah.
0: to them as well. Yeah. And I can see that. I was found uh trippy and yeah. Yeah, Stone Temple Pilots went a little popular, and uh i Mother Earth definitely veered into progressive a lot harder than Almost any of their peers really did except for the Tea Party, probably. Like they were yeah. the two bands that really went into like, hey, let's do the dark heavy stuff and like long pieces. Those were my two bands to go to in Canada a lot of the time. Cause the first I'm like this I mean, the one that everybody talks about, Scenery and Fish, which is an amazing album, but it's not mm-hmm. like it's a very poppy kind of pop rock album. Whereas like the stuff that like the one that came before it with One More Astronaut, I can't remember the name uh, of the album. Dig-
1: no, Scenery think- and Fish had was one more astronaut.
0: Yeah, no, no, I'm talking about the one before it. So, like, dig. No, yeah, not one more. I was, I'm thinking not quite Sonic. Um, Like, that album. Mm, yeah, yeah. That was a lot heavier than that. Like, you could hear the tool influence and that kind of stuff on that record. And that mm. came back more when Edwin left. And then Brian took over for those two records. Um, Neither of which are amazing. But, you know, New I Mother Earth was New I Mother Earth, and nobody was complaining at the time. So, especially yeah. then, because we got Edwin doing solo shit that was literally shit. So, yeah. You know.
1: No, I I was a big I Mother Earth fan. Again, not not a band I got to see live, but yeah, Scenery and Fish was was my stuff because it was a little more poppy. I just saw them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just saw. Uh, so like, I think we talked about it on the show like last summer they were touring Scenery and Fish. They got Edwin back and were touring nice. with him to do like doing all of Scenery and Fish and then like a selection from the first record. And they even did a couple songs from the Brian era stuff, which was interesting because yeah. I was always like, like I liked Brian as a singer, but I was like, I wonder how this would have sounded with Edwin. Guess what? All better, oddly <laughs> enough. So there's that. Yeah. Sorry, Brian. I mean, I love you to death. Like you did a great thing stepping into that role, <laughs> but you're no fucking Edwin, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, and I another Sunday, I fuck, I love Used to Be All
1: Right. That was an amazing song. Just just a fucking rocker.
0: Uh Pisser was always my track on that that mm-hmm. album it was like that heavy. Uh that was like the one that was like, oh, they still have it. Like this is still like the crunchiness of that the last album. Uh mm-hmm. so I was hoping it would come back a little bit more than yeah. that,
1: but and I really like the the chord progression on Raspberry. It was just it was just yeah. like sort of like that really epic anthemy kind of song and yeah. had really nice harmonies to it. And then that album finishes off with Earth, Sky and Sea, that like, yeah, that long, like seven yeah. minute jam
0: track kind of I thing. I like that jam track to be honest with you. It's fun. I like I Yeah, I, no, it's great. I, like that album like if we were gonna put a list of these albums together, like that would be very high on this list for me. Like yeah. out of those bands. Like I'm not like a diehard i mother earth fan although like i said like i just saw them again and they were playing in milton with finger 11 of Well bands and uh with edwin still though so i'm like i'll go again for 20 bucks up the street from my house why not i might not stay for finger 11 yeah i'll watch i mother earth play because i always like watching yeah. them live they were fun to watch so but and edwin got
1: kicked out what because he was like addicted wasn't
0: uh, it yeah he was just an asshole there was all kinds of rumors going on and uh, uh, going around about edwin at the time like there was stuff about him and Rachel Perry for Much Music, and there's all blah, blah, blah. Mm. There's all kinds of rumors floating around. So. <laughs> oh, Canadian fucking tabloid hey, shit. Hey, and we could talk about Sloan, your boy. He was involved in a big one. <laughs> he was involved in a big one. This is true. This is true. I remember yeah. when I heard about that one, I was like, holy shit. Chris Murphy, you fucking dog. Yeah. <laughs> Twice. Good on you. Good on you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, well, I. We have talked about Sloan in the past, so we don't need to go too much into depth there, but they're fucking just a juggernaut of Canadian music that really did come in in the
0: 90s. Yeah, oh yeah, they're still touring after like 25 years together. Yeah, which is like, I like like to see like even the bands that I'm not paying attention to that have like kind of continued on. Like I found it very interesting when I found out Finger Eleven was still together and touring. I was like, who gives a shit? But like somebody does, Mm -hmm. obviously. And like seeing Sloan every once in a while, like I've seen them in the last couple of years just because they were on a, a multi-band bill that I was in front of. And I was like, I remember Sloan. I wonder if those idiots still chant that song. They do. Great. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still a fun show. Like, yep. on a great fucking show. And like they're all you know, Yeah, exactly. They're all they're all multi instrumentalists.
1: They do great fucking harmonies. They're it's the same fucking lineup that it's been mm-hmm. from the start, like same four dudes. That clearly still get along with each other and just
0: put out solid, solid power power pop. That's interesting because there are some long runner bands that like have the same like lineup throughout like the entire life of the band. I mean, obviously, like we go right back to the tragically hip, but I wanted to bring them up last, but they had the same fucking lineup from like beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Trouble Charger stayed the same until they Disintegrated basically like when Bill Priddle, Trouble like,
1: Charger I don't want to talk yeah, about it, we, too, they were, they were,
0: like, I'm actually listening to uh, Red right now so we'll get into the Trouble Charger oh, fuck. Yeah exactly <laughs> right. But like I mean obviously Matt, Matt's band Broke up but, like the Tea Party like I mean they had a big Hiatus but it's still the same three guys Like there is, mm-hmm. there is something about the Can Rock bands Where like if they get back together It's usually the core group like they don't Fucking replace guys unless they stay active for a long Time like I Mother Earth or not I Mother Earth sorry Our Lady Peace Is a good example of that. Where like nobody's left. I don't think anymore. Except for I think Duncan's still in the band. Like the bass player. But don't Mm -hmm. quote me on that. Because I know Jeremy's not in there anymore. Because when I saw them last spring with Matt. It wasn't Jeremy playing drums. Because the new guy sucks. And it's still the same guy who replaced Mike Turner on guitar. And he's still not great either. So (laughs) I don't know. But they still put out albums. And like I just saw him with Chantal a couple weeks ago in Milton. So like. He still sounds okay. She still sounds 10 times better than him. So I don't know why she lets him tour with him. But, like, (laughs) I mean, love is love, I guess. I don't know. I still think she could do better. (laughs) And by that, I mean trade up to me, trade down, obviously. (laughs) But yeah, so, uh, yeah, do you want to talk about Treble Charger? Because Treble Charger is a band that, like, they played on every fucking multi band bill that I ever saw. They were everywhere all the <laughs> time like i love trouble they charger were, yeah. especially the uh the free pop punk incarnation of trouble charger like the oh yeah yeah
1: no they they became garbage yeah. after oh, what the maybe it's um, well i like mean N- nc17
0: well, uh, and and on was not maybe it's me was probably the uh like the, the album like that was the big album yeah. that had the good like the 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 re-recorded version of red on it and it had like karen <laughs> like how she died and stuff that's the album i most identify with that going backwards key trouble charger right so like uh self, self equals title self equals title their ep yeah, yeah that i love it's that amazing fucking EP. and then uh the yeah. nc-17 record like the pre like the indie version the indie release the one that's got like 10th grade yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. on it fucking spectacular power pop album like such a good record mm-hmm. and then yeah they killed it like oh it was wide. sorry it was wide awake board where they jumped the shark yeah. and just became yeah power or like a pop they they became some 41 right greg nori was producing them or whatever and he just decided that they should be that and that's when Pertle left priddle fucked off at that point i don't even consider the band treble charger after that album because that has yeah like he's got like three writing credits on it uh brand new low is one of his and there's like maybe i think there's two other ones that are priddle like he's credited on and then he fucking left
1: yeah so like after that treble charger's gone yeah they became a different band and absolutely after
0: that although i think was bill priddle still has like what the priddle concern he does whatever? the priddle concern occasionally he also was with uh crash karma which was a group of uh it had so mike turner oh, from yeah. Our lady peace uh jeff Burroughs, who was now back with the tea party but the drummer of the tea party bill priddle and there's somebody else i'd have to look up but like it was those guys i think priddle was singing for them because he sang in trouble charger his own stuff um
1: mm.
0: like they got together and just did oh it was edwin edwin was in that group too sorry he was i think he was the lead singer. okay So, like, those guys kind of got together and, like, did a thing. Uh, I saw them a couple times. It was fun. Like, nothing was, like, great on it, but it was just cool to see, like, like, huh, I remember seeing all you guys in your original bands, and now you're fucking around in some weird club in Toronto because nobody cares about who you are anymore. But, except for me and, like, five other people that I recognize from shows, like Tea Party shows and stuff. Apparently, there might be a new Trouble Charger
1: album coming out with the original lineup Ooh. including Bill Priddle. If, if they get a Priddle comeback, I'm in. I am solid in for that. Well, he's he's been back with them it looks like since like
0: 2012. Really? I they've been like just playing live shows once in a while kind of thing. I haven't seen them play around here. Uh, I would fucking kill to see a Bill Priddle included Trouble Charger show in 2018. So
1: yeah, apparently they've been, they played like uh, mostly
0: like some festival mm-hmm. shows and stuff like that uh, the past few years. So hey, man, if like the tea, oh. if the Tea Party and I Mother Earth can put their shit aside and like get back together after however many years it was between those, because like I mean they kicked Edwin out in like 1999 and the Tea Party broke in 2003 mm-hmm. and got back together 15 years later, and the same with I Mother Earth. Trouble Charger okay. can do it. I'll pay for at least one ticket to go see them once with Bill Prittle. Yeah. I mean, so trouble charger
1: was the one that, uh, when we were sort of, when I was prepping for this episode, I was very disappointed to find that I have like one or two songs in my fucking oh, iTunes really? from them. Like I know I've got three or four of their CDs, including every CD Self-A-Goo's titles and, and, and maybe it's me, but I just, for whatever reason, it never made it into my fucking iTunes. Okay. So that's something I
0: will need to correct. Yeah, absolutely, man. I can send you those files. I got good rips of my CDs if you want them. So. Just let me know. i found some. Nice. Yeah, Trouble Charger, it's funny because Trouble Charger doesn't branch out particularly nicely except for like start talking about the Edge Fest stuff because they were some, some 41 oh, and we, no. we could go to Gob. No, no thank you. That's <laughs> like, I mean, Gob, I've seen Gob a lot. You know what I mean? Like they played a lot of shows open yeah. for a lot of people. I saw them open for Matthew Good and Moist one time, actually, oddly enough. So Matthew Good banned Moist uh, and Gob was the bill. Yeah. It was an interesting show. Like, you know, talk about Mood Whiplash going from like, it was Gob so like, like pop punk, like loud pop punk. Yeah. And then like 45 to an hour of Matthew Good Band, which is like crunchy slash whatever. <laughs> and then like an hour and a half of moist. I was like, this is the weirdest fucking set I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, all right, I'm here. I'm here for Matt anyway. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, good times. Well, here, let's pull it to one that does not have a huge
1: amount of connections to other bands, but one that I did not want to um, start without finish this episode without talking about who is a partially Canadian band, and that's Big Wreck.
0: Oh, okay. I was just going to say, you're
1: still, you're going to talk about Big Wreck.
0: Yeah, Ian Thornley? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, All their records are good. Even their new yeah. stuff, if you haven't listened to it, you should go and listen to their newer ones. He's a fucking ridiculously good guitar player. I like listening to him
1: play guitar. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I fucking love, like, yeah his guitar solos are beautiful he also sometimes plays like a double neck as well yeah, yep plays a lot of 12 string stuff
0: which yep. is something not a lot of people do to good effect uh yeah him and jeff martin are like the only two canadian guys i know who can do it properly so good on yeah. him because he's the only one in big rec who actually is from canada i believe he's a montreal guy originally Ian thornley Ian thornley is yeah i think he's from quebec and then like moved to boston after the fact the rest of the guys are boston originals i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. they got lumped in because we all liked Ian thornley and the guy like in loving memory, in loving memory of, was one of those albums like everybody yeah. had, like, and yeah. it was played everywhere for like that entire summer.
1: And I, I claim them as a Canadian band because I don't think they ever really made it in the U.S. Like, they only really hit in Canada. Yeah, know. So.
0: we accepted them as one of our Edgefest own. I think uh in that yeah. kind of '90s era. So like, they they made a pretty good living up here, I think, for a couple yeah. of years. Because uh, I remember seeing them a number of times playing like like weird little clubs in Saint Catharines. They would play, and like I would just go. Only time I saw Big Wreck was
1: one of, if not the most memorable concert experiences I ever had, which was at Roy Thompson Hall. They played a show with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, with an ensemble of taiko drummers, Japanese taiko drummers, yeah. with Eric Johnson, like legendary fucking mm-hmm. solo guitarist, mm-hmm. and with Paul Angla and Robbie Baker from The Hip We're nice. all part of that concert.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, because they, they did the, I remember the the first band that did the symphony thing was the Tea Party, which is the mm-hmm. most like straight line you could possibly get between like a rock band and like, who's yeah. going to, are we going to pick any of those bands? Like which any Canadian band is going <laughs> to go play with the symphony. Like maybe now you might say Matthew Good because he does a lot of string arrangements in his mm-hmm. stuff. But like back then you'd be like, yeah, it's clearly going to be the Tea Party. They, already <laughs> had, they had a string quartet touring with them for like half a year anyway already. So yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it was a pretty straight line. But yeah, like, Big Wreck worked big really rec well, well too. It, it awesome. yeah, it leaned it lent itself
1: really well to that sort of sympo- symphonic yeah. pop vibe because their songs are already almost orchestral in the in so the big, layers layered like sound. Singing. Yeah, big sound and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, very very grandiose and. But yeah, I mean, just that that looping riff on, or I guess the reverb riff on, like the Oaf.
0: Yeah, the yeah the opening the, the opening finger pick part of the Oaf. Yeah, it's fucking yeah. amazing. That. so good yeah
1: yeah and pleasure in the greed was a great album too and, and i was just
0: gonna shout out yeah. a song on that uh lady like where he plays the banjo on it because like that's yeah. not guitar like he got full-on fucking finger picks the banjo on that and i that's like that album got a lot of shit i thought it was great that song was like pleasure in the greed yeah it got yeah kind of panned by a lot of people but i thought it was great and like that song in particular is like why i think it's great because it's a fucking awesome rock song so hmm I really like I really I mean, they started
1: to get a little harder on that album too. like uh, and shit like defined by what we steal uh, is a little like more proggy and not as major key as a
0: lot of their stuff is. Yes. And they do. They they moved that direction a little bit going forward. They became a little bit more like experimental bluesy kind of mm-hmm. going forward. I I'm really into it. It's probably not for everybody. Like if you like in loving memory of you will find stuff that you like in the newer albums, but it is it starts to get a little bit more experimental, especially when you get through like the first half of the record and get into the back half where he just kinda like we're just gonna have some fun, and do these six minute kind of songs stuff that I like yeah. not to everybody's taste. So Yeah. But yeah, in Loving
1: Memory of was just a fucking
0: beautiful debut album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Where do we go from here? Uh well, they, people like that don't have tons of connections. Hoxie Workman is a guy that like oh, I like fuck. a lot. I I I'd
1: love Hoxley Workman. I consider him more of that two thousand scene. Kind of than okay. I do.
0: He, I guess he sort of bridges over a little bit, though. Well, strip, like, I just remember because like when Striptease and uh, Jealousy of Your Cigarette came out was kind of earlier. Like it was in the 99-ish kind of time. Yeah. Period. yeah. yeah. It was
1: more,
0: like when he blew up with what was the album with Smoke Baby on? Lover Fighter. Uh, the one that had mm. um, We Will Still Need a Song. And Oh, I love that. We, we danced to that at our wedding.
1: Yeah. It was so like, much fun to play a song that started with Fuck You, You're Drunk. Fuck You, I'm Drunk. Yeah. Or Fuck You, yeah. You're Drunk. Such a good song. <laughs> and Acting Tough. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that like that album, like I love that record. He's playing not too like in the not too distant future. I should go get tickets. He's playing at uh, he's actually playing at Paler. Uh, he's a great performer. He's great. Yeah, I've seen him a number of times, but he's playing at uh, Palais Royal actually, oddly enough. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I might grab a, a seat and go see that because <laughs> I like I've always liked Hoxley, and when he comes around, it's kind of like he reappears here and there sometimes, mm-hmm. and I'm always like, oh shit, I should go see that. Then he disappears again on me, and I'm like, oh okay. So whenever I see him pop up, I'm like, oh, I gotta go because he he's kind of nebulous and like being able to reach him kind of stuff sometimes or, like being able to see him sometimes so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah i i think yeah his for him and the girls was uh the album that had or where the album where he start actually started to have like some singles off of that yeah came out and that was like 99 so i think that's why i consider him more of a more of, I. Yeah, more part of that like early 2000s, like arcade fire, broken social scene kind of scene than yeah. I do the that 90s scene.
0: No, that makes sense to me. Uh, absolutely. I just remember he toured with these guys a lot. Like, I would, he yeah. was yeah. one of those like perennial openers in the Toronto uh, circuit in mm-hmm. that era. So, like, in 90s, 90, so, like, 98, 99, when like Tarantula had come out and then like uh, Delicious Wolves had come out kind of thing, mm-hmm. he started getting like opening slots for. Like, he would open for trouble Charger, he would open for Matt, like, that kind of stuff. He'd pop up that way. But, yeah, he did start getting a lot bigger when, um, like, in that 2000s era, like, when the deers started to hit, I feel like Hoxie kind of, yeah. like, rode yeah. that pretty well. Oh, yeah, yeah, so.
1: yeah, yeah, definitely some
0: overlap there. Yeah. Let's see. What about the Killjoys? Were you a Killjoys guy? uh I, I knew who they were, and I had some of their records. I wasn't, like, a huge fan of them. Uh, I, Hamilton Band. They are a Hamilton Band, yeah. Uh, there are better Hamilton Bands, so...
1: <laughs> um i like killjoys they're they they were right in like my little indie pop sort of uh pocket so they worked really well for me and yeah they weren't uh, uh they
0: weren't they weren't dour or heavy enough for me i don't think so uh fair enough there's <laughs> that I mean, if you want to if you want to track these bands that i'm talking about like matt <laughs> tea party you know that that kind of stuff there is a uh a minor key kind of uh idea going on through all these bands so So I'm guessing you also weren't much of like a 5440 guy either. Oddly enough, uh, the bands that kind of came before that, like I know they were they were active throughout kind of thing, but they were very much like the hit. They were active in the 80s and stuff like that. So I grew up with 5440 getting played around me. So I never really lumped Mm -hmm. them in. I love 5440. Like I see I see them all the time. Odd Connection, Dave Gann from the Matthew Good Band. Now they're a guitar player and has been since he left the Matthew Good Band, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. So I see
1: it. Yeah. Um, yeah, these are these are older dudes. I didn't yeah. realize that fifty four yeah. forty, like they're in their fifties now. Shit. Yeah.
0: yeah, they're all the same age as the hip guys. So like they're kind of in that same group as like Rio Statics, um, who I love and everybody should listen to. Like arguably the greatest Canadian band that is not the hip of all time. <laughs> so real Statics, Blue Rodeo is a big one from that kind of era. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even Tom Cochran, like you can kind of get into that stuff. But like his early stuff look was at, like, yeah, shadowy, shadowy men on a shadowy planet. That kind of yeah, more
1: more poppy uh 80s kind of vibe that play, like, plays more off of like shit like
0: uh like husker do and... yeah or like do you remember uh king Cobb steely like bands like that. oh yeah yeah, yeah. like yeah. those are like like the pre like tea party hitting kind of like transition like when our lady peace got big like that kind of stuff those bands kind of right before philosopher kings is one of them too where they were just kind of like didn't quite get lumped in with the group properly and kind of mm-hmm. went away as a result so I mean, sad, but like I love those like the early Philosopher Kings records were like amazing, too. So well worth going and seeking out. Yeah, I've only listened to maybe I
1: think like the singles that Philosopher Kings put put out. I never really dove into their back catalog or anything.
0: Their first one, the one that's got Charms on it, is still one of my favorite albums of all time. And Charms is still one of my favorite songs ever. Like, I think it's, like, a genius song, so. Yeah.
1: Well, here's one that I'm interested in your take on, since uh, you recently revealed your to our listeners your female artist thing. Uh, yeah. pretty, uh, thing.
0: <laughs> Alanis Morissette. Uh, I like Jagged Little Pill. Everything after that yeah. kind of left me a little cold. Um, which is you surprising. listen to her earlier stuff, her really dancy shit? Oh fuck it, no, I can't. That's come on, it's, this is me we're talking about. I want to die. I, d- I, I die.
1: did just just once to like I think I downloaded her whole discography and I was just like, yeah. well, I don't have Jagged Little Pill, might as well get the whole discography. Yeah, and I listened to a lot of it, and a lot of it's real fucking bad because she like started out as a child artist.
0: Yeah, like, oh yeah, she was like, like a full-on a teenage, pop princess. Teenage yeah. Star. yeah, yeah, she was a full-on pop princess when she before uh, Jagged Little Pill came out. Yeah. I don't like, I always, yeah, I, yeah. I have a lot of respect for Lannis Morissette. I just don't necessarily find her music does anything for me past "Jag a Little Pill. And even that record, once you get past the singles, like they're, pr- it's pretty generic kind of pop rock. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like, I had like five or six fucking singles though. No, oh, absolutely. I had a, hu- it was a <laughs> huge, album. I'm not, I'm not shitting on yeah. her, i just like, it's not really like to my taste overall kind of thing. Like I appreciate what she mean. Yeah, yeah. I like Lannis Morissette, like as a person a lot, like she shows up in weeds and stuff like that as an actress. I mean, she's obviously in the Kevin Smith movies, like as God and stuff. Yeah. So, like, I-, I think she's great. I just like her music does very little for me. So, yeah. And she was one that didn't really fit into the scene necessarily,
1: but was no. was contemporary with all this stuff that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I- I- I'm sure. At, well, she got so big in the states so fast. I'm sure if you asked her, like, "Hey, Alanis, do you know the Tea Party?" Are she'd be like, "Who the fuck's that?" Like, I was in the states making a billion dollars when they were, yeah, like touring St. Catharines, you know, like that kind of shit. So, yeah. <laughs> See what else. Uh, I mean, we're going to talk about women. Like, there's people that, sh- I mean, Chantal, we've talked about. Sarah McLaughlin, is Canadian also. Uh, Sarah Crash Harmer.
1: Dummies. Oh, yeah, Sarah yeah. Harmer. Yeah, if you yeah. want to go
0: into female artists,
1: I, 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 got, I, I like me some Sarah Harmer.
0: Yeah, like, well, Paul and I were just talking about Sarah Harmer. We're probably going to do a record in the next couple, in the next cycle of albums. One of hers is going to yeah. come up. Because uh, I, I think it's, is it Nightbugs or Bed Bugs or something like that is the album? I really, I'm not like super
1: familiar with Sarah Harmer. I've only got a, maybe, maybe a handful of her songs.
0: Yeah. No, I have a, like, I, I have what
1: a I do have, though. I really like
0: yeah, so Sarah Marmer is a, a one I'm a fan of. She's a, she's a Vancouver girl, too. Unless we not, if you want to talk about women, uh, Holly McNarland, can't not shout out Holly. Uh, oh, yeah. Num. Yeah, also uh, good friends with Matt. Uh, appeared Biff, in Biff, his first... Biff, Biff Naked. Biff Naked, also awesome. <laughs> i had a huge crush on biff
1: crush on biff naked back in the day i can see that yeah yeah (laughs) i can see you she played right into that like uh sort of goth uh girl girl yeah kind of thing
0: absolutely can totally see that yeah um yeah biff Naked was like i I saw her a bunch of times because she was one of those like on a multi-bill kind of thing she would always be there yeah type girl she's still active too apparently yeah Yeah, she's on twitter i follow her on twitter she's fucking awesome i always like biff she used to do a lot of like much music stuff too, like show up and like just kind of do guest hosting spots. Yeah. She's always a good interview. That's what I always liked about some of these Canadian pe- like these Canadian artists. Like there's a lot of personality in the Canadian music scene and like mm-hmm. you can kind of like just getting seeing different people get interviewed was always fascinating to me cuz like you would get interviews and like I like I love the grunge guys, but like you would sit down and watch like an interview with Eddie Vedder or Kurt Cobain or Chris Cornell or yeah. Lane Staley or Jerry Cantor or and whatever. I just had no interest in yeah yeah, they had no interest in interviewing and whatever and the canadian guys some of them were very similarly like not super into the interviewing but instead of being shitty and just kind of like shutting down like they just fuck with them all the time so like you get interviewed matthew good like bombed off his ass and like screaming at people off camera as a comedy (laughs) bit. And like Jeff Martin, like with the sunglasses, just refusing to talk to people while the other two guys would just (laughs) shoot the shit in front of them. And they were always just so much more entertaining to watch than the American rock stars. Jeff Jeff Martin just doing his best uh, his
1: best Jim Jim Morrison Morrison on camera. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) I was like, he got, it was funny. We were, somebody yelled that at him at one of the shows I saw the last time they were around and he was like, guys like I'm in my fucking fifties almost like he died at 27. I think yeah. I passed this Jim Morrison shit. And I was like, you know what? I'll fucking give it to you, buddy. Like, you have, I think you have, like, I'm a big fan of Jeff Martin to be fair, but like he is like in his forties and they have done a lot more. With their career. I mean, the, nobody's going to have that influence that the doors had. obviously. Yeah. The
1: impact that the doors. Yeah. But
0: I feel like Jeff's done. Like he's done pretty good for himself. You know what I mean? So yeah, I yeah. won't, I don't, I won't pull the Jim Morrison card on him anymore. <laughs> I used to all the time. I used to brag on him constantly for it, but whatever. So there's,
1: There's a band in this group, too, that are in this period that um, I didn't even realize were Canadian, and I didn't really glom onto until well after they stopped being uh, active, um, and that's The Watchmen. Oh, you didn't know The Watchmen were Canadian? I... I it, they were just a band that, I, for whatever reason, slipped under my radar during this whole period, and then it was like the mid-2000s or something like that that I finally became aware of them, and it was just because I was like downloading some random shit, and they were with mixed in with some of it kind of thing, and I was like, wow, this is great, and then later on, I was like, fuck, these guys are Canadian.
0: How did I not come across them? Yeah. Well, There's stuff from like Windsor or something like that. I want to say, or like Waterloo or some shit. Like they're from Ontario. Yeah. Uh, they were, they were again, Win- Winnipeg, like, apparently is it Winnipeg. Oh, it was, I knew it was a W there. It is. I think, I think they're Toronto now, but yeah. uh,
1: at the time they were, I mean, uh, now Yeah, they, they, now? <laughs> they formed in Winnipeg. And I think, I think they might like where they actually, yeah, they formed in Winnipeg, but then like, it looks like
0: moved to Toronto and that's where they actually blew up. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, I had all their records at one point. Like, I still think, uh, what was that song? Oh, Incarnate. Pre-stereo. Oh, fuck stereo. That song sucked. But uh, <laughs> Incarnate, like, there was some stuff on the record before uh, the stereo album that was, like, really, really good. They got, they went a little, like, we're, we're trying to sell out on that record, which mm-hmm. kind of sucked. But uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, cause I remember seeing them, and it was with, like, remember Thrush Hermit? <laughs> I don't
1: know I, I, lo- I love Thrush Hermit. Yeah, they, they were right up. They were they Rush were the, up that that indie pop alley for me too. Like yeah. that same same sort of stretch as like. Well, and I love Joel Plaskett who came yeah. out of Thrush Hermit.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. Joel Plaskett is definitely like I've seen him a number of times too. Like he's awesome. But he's he's very much that two thousands uh, yep. vibe as well. Yep. Uh, were you ever were you an Inbreds guy? Did you know the Inbreds?
1: Uh, yeah, but uh, that, and I they were another one that I didn't really become too aware of until later on, and I. And it was because, was it their lead uh, singer ended up being the host of the CBC Radio
0: 3 podcast that I listened oh, to? Oh, yeah, yeah. Years yeah. and years and years. I can't even remember the fucking dude's name of this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's awesome. No, because they were like, they always fell into that, like, I remember the Inbreds were like one of those bands that kind of got, I don't know if they did it on intentionally, but they always seemed to be touring with the Headstones. <laughs> it was just the weirdest combination. Mm-hmm. I think they must have gotten along with Hugh or something like that, because like, they had a, they have a, that, that similar kind of trajectory career wise were like they they were a band and then broke up and then like the one guy like obviously the lead singer uh inbreds ended up on the cbc podcast and hugh dylan ended up like on tv like he was in durham county and then that flashpoint show and like he's been on canadian tv fairly regularly since then and then got back together with the headstones and is touring again like i'm going (laughs) so never mind
1: i was talking out of my ass uh oh is it not him No, who CBC Radio Three
0: podcast? Who was the fucking host? That host has changed like changed not too long ago, though, didn't it? Like is that really uh, well,
1: no they, they, the podcast doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, which fuck? Who was the host of that goddamn podcast?
0: I don't know. Uh, I remember you recommending it to me, or somebody recommending it to me, and I'm being like, oh, I should listen to it. I never did. There was because they had no Grant Lawrence
1: was the one that hosted it forever. And what was Grant Lawrence's claim to fame? He
0: was a former
1: artist, but I can't remember what the fuck he
0: was in. I don't know. Was he like one of the side guys in like Limb Lifter or something like that? No, The Smugglers. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember The Smugglers. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah he hosted that for like fucking four or five years or something like that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah,
1: sorry. Not not The Embrets, anyways.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, The Embrets <laughs> were one of those bands. Uh, headstones kind of thing uh got spit mm-hmm. on by hugh Dillon a number of times because he was a heroin <laughs> junkie for a long time and kind of gross
1: yeah i think what else did you ever get into conline crush
0: i did actually uh the w you knows one of my favorite albums it's a go-to still to this day like i'll yeah. put that album on and just listen to it the whole way through and then yeah that's about as much conline crush as i need i do what's that what was that single that came out after all that you are was their biggest signal oh uh you don't know and what it's then- like the you one know, that it's out, like, yeah, yeah, that was not on that record, but it was, I think it was on the next one. I liked that song a lot. So. Yeah. I remember
1: I, the only, I saw them live. One of my buddies won some tickets on like a radio giveaway mm-hmm. uh, for a show that was at the Steam whistle roundhouse. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is like really early and like, like right after Steam whistle became a thing. Yeah. So like 1999 kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Like late high school for us kind of thing yeah. or early, early college. Yeah, and that, they were they, they always kind of stuck out. Like there wasn't a lot of like Canadian sort of post industrial kind of bands like the, like that.
0: Yeah, they were they were always an interesting one. Trevor Hurst's an interesting guy too. If you go and kind of like look at his career arc, it's very erratic. But like he, that album is like I don't know. I think that album's basically perfect. Like it's one of those like I I'm sure somebody would listen to it now and be like, what the fuck's wrong with you? But like I love that record. Uh, I can listen to it from front to back. I still think it holds up. Yeah. Uh, so. Even though, like, yeah, he's blatantly just like ripping off Trent Reznor, like at every fucking, like every every possible turn, he's ripping off Trent. But, like, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. He's doing a really good poppy job of it, so I kind of forgive a lot of it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: What else was there? What else? Was there? I got. I like, Crush was one I actually really wanted to bring up because, like, uh, I feel like they're one of those bands. That, like they were huge for like a number of years, and then nobody. And cared. then just disappeared. Yeah. yeah. So, like, who else was, like, Widemouth Mason was one that was like that, too, where, like, yep. they, just, they popped up and then disappeared. Uh, yeah, a couple and
1: singles more. and then just went, yeah, just went away. Yeah, they,
0: were, they were one of those bands that Eric dragged me to, like, a million times. I saw Widemouth <laughs> Mason a lot. They were good live, like, excellent live, but I have a really yeah. good story. Like we went across the border to see them in Niagara Falls, New York, without really knowing exactly where they were playing, in my busted-ass, like, 1987 tempo with a shattered taillight. <laughs> We got pulled over because like we had no fucking idea what we were doing, obviously, and like walked in and met the band and the manager management of the band because they were having trouble getting across the border too. <laughs> <laughs> they saved our asses because we were like, they were like, oh, I was like, I think that's fucking wide mouth Mason. So we're, they, <laughs> when they heard us say the name of their band and looked at us and we like, uh, are you going to see us tonight? And we we're like, we're hoping to. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, we don't actually know where you're playing. We just know you're playing. So like, if you give us the address of where we're playing, we'll get out of here. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's exactly what happened. They basically told us where it was, comped us some passes, and then like, nice. sent us on our way. Border <laughs> Patrol was just like, oh, if you know where you're going, then yeah, go ahead. So they let us across. <laughs> this, is, this is pre-9-11, kids. So like... Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like this shit doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Uh, you can't get across the border without like a pass, like six pieces of ID and like a fucking rectal exam. So like, good luck. <laughs> but back then yeah. they were just like, all right, you fucking idiots, just don't get too drunk before you come back kind of thing. It was, yeah. that. you know, 1999 is a different, different time. But yeah, they, we got in and went and saw them in this like seediest, tiniest club in Niagara Falls, New York with like 14 other people. And they kept talking to us because they recognized us again, obviously from the border <laughs> crossing. And they're like, hey, those are those two fucking guys that got stuck at the border and ran into us. Trying before. to come see us, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty funny, so. Nice. Yeah.
1: My only real interactions that I can think of with, canadian acts were with sloan i think because i mm-hmm. met them Or i met chris murphy when we were going to those shows at the palo royale because mm-hmm. um, we got there like super early like it was one of the first concerts i would ever gone to we we're all like super excited and we got there yeah got there super early because we didn't really know where we were going similar situation like we knew it was the palo royale we didn't really know how to get there mm-hmm. we got there it was still like two hours before the show so we're like well now what do we do so, uh, we go over, get some food and then this, uh, there's like those bridges that go over the lakeshore, yep. uh, pedestrian bridges. Mm-hmm. As we're walking back across the pedestrian bridge to like catch the opening act, Chris Murphy's walking the other way to, for, cause he's done his sound check now and he yep. was going to go get dinner while the opening act was on. Yeah. And, and we met up with him on the bridge and we're like, Hey, we're coming to see you later. And so and like yeah. got a picture with him and stuff and that's a super awesome. nice guy. Uh, and yeah. then, At a later Sloan show, uh, my buddies and I, we stayed after because, so I'd bought a copy of Navy Blues and I wanted to get it signed. So we were waiting for them, waiting and waiting, and then none of them came out. And then eventually we figured out, okay, they must be having like an after party or something like that. So we went outside and were waiting for them outside rather than inside the venue and noticed that there were people loading out. And at one point the people loading out left the door cracked open. So we
0: just yeah. went through the backstage door. I mean, <laughs> that's how I met the Tea Party and the Matthew Good band on the same night. So, <laughs> what are you going to do? And I watched Jeff yep. Martin do a whole bunch of drugs. So. <laughs> if you see an open door, go through the open door. Just yeah. go through it. Why not? What's The, the worst that's going to happen to you is some security guy's going to be like, you can't be back here. Get out. Yeah, I
1: that, was, I, that was, I think, at the cool house. and yeah, um, They were playing oh, with the deers.
0: Cool that's funny. Because the same—that's where it happened for me too. Was at the cool oh, house. Oh yeah, shitty <laughs> security in the city, baby. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. sneak backstage at the cool house. Always yeah. sneak backstage at the cool
1: house. Yeah, so we just snuck backstage, got our album signed, and like they, we got like free beer that was just sitting, you know, because that's how those after parties go. They just put oh, yeah. out like a bunch of beer on a table or in a cooler or whatever, and just shot the shit with uh,
0: yeah <laughs> with Sloan. <laughs> that's basically the same. Like that. My story is basically the same. Like we we saw the door open, and we're like, we should sneak in. And walked back there. And like, I kn- I knew Ian from the Matthew Good Band, like the drummer. Uh, mm-hmm. from, like I'd met him before at a- another show. And he saw me and he was like, yeah, passes? And I'm like, No. He's like, All right, whatever. Grab a beer. <laughs> Come with me. So we walked yeah. by and he's like, Hey, do you want to meet the tea party? Cause like they were just happened to be backstage. I guess they were playing. I think we had tickets to see them two nights later in the same venue kind of thing. Um, and they were just hanging out with Matt because they were in town. <laughs> and I walked back there and he's like, Let's go meet Jeff Martin. And so he knocks on the door, opens the door. And there's Jeff just doing drugs. And he's like, let's come back and meet Jeff Martin like, later. <laughs> oh, it was good. good so we got to go hang out with the Matthew Good Band for a little while and then went back and met the Tea Party guys later. Actually, the uh, other Jeff and Stuart were with the Matthew Good Band guys hanging out. So we had to have a drink with them. And then Jeff joined us once he was done afterwards. So nice. good times. Yeah.
1: But I mean, I, there were only a couple others that I had listed. I mean... Crash Test Dummies are pretty big. We didn't really talk about them, but again, they're not one that I don't really consider them to be a Canadian band. I know they are, but they're they also had a
0: fair amount of crossover success, so I don't really consider them part of this scene necessarily. I lump them in with the uh, the CFNY scene, like the pre like this scene, like the its precursor kind of thing, like the the Blue Rodeos and Cornucop yeah. Ladies and Tragically Hip's kind of thing. I mean, most of those bands had a, a presence, like. That went through this i mean obviously like we got to talk about the hip at some point if we're going to talk about this era of music but like they were around throughout kind of thing and they obviously they had that big fucking stupid breakout hit uh in the states what's that song the Mm -hmm song Mm -hmm, like i hate mm -hmm. i hate that fucking song so much i for that
1: reason i almost lumped them in more with that uh like bare naked (laughs) ladies like crossover kind of thing you know they're more they're almost more of a novelty act than they are an alt
0: rock act yeah, I was like, for there was a, a, a slim period of time before I really kind of realized who everybody was, where I confused them with R.E.M. for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. We just both had that both kind of like artsy, like, I think it was more the music videos were both like super artsy and like a yeah. own ass kind of stuff, like, because that was in, uh, would have been around the, uh, losing my religion era for R.E.M. And they were just like, they were spending a lot of money on music videos in that era, oddly enough, because they finally signed to a major. Yeah. And. Yeah, was, I remember Crash Test Dummies, like, they had the, a similar, at least visual kind of vibe to them through that era, and it always threw me off. And then obviously, yeah, I could see that I realized, sure. Yeah, and then I realized, obviously, the Crash Test Dummies were, like, a one-shot <laughs> deal who sucked, and R.E.M. is, like, one of the greatest bands that has ever existed, ever. So, like, <laughs> there's a little bit of, like, a disparity between the quality of those two bands, so. Yeah.
1: No, there were definitely other bands like that where they were, like, so similar that, as to be, like, almost indistinguishable, indistinguishable like... Yeah the gondarvas and zucker baby i always fucking got mixed up because they were yeah. so fucking similar and
0: yeah. yeah i always remember like i know there's a distinction but like when you start like to try and break apart all the like static and stereo age of electric limb lifter yeah limb lifter that, yeah all those yeah. kinds of ba- like all the the uh todd kearns and the those two brothers who are the limb lifter guys like they were in age yeah. of electric and then broke off and did a bunch of other shit but, like i always feel like that was kind of like they were their own scene, even though Todd Kearns is like, he's friends with Matt and has been on. He's He makes appearances on Beautiful Midnight, actually. just does background vocals. But like, he's all over the place on stuff, but like, they were never a huge band in any of their incarnations. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what they're doing now. I, I've heard of Electric actually might be back together and touring. I just, I don't hmm. know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was. I was a
1: singles band for, for yeah. Age of electric for sure. Yeah.
0: Like I own their album. And I remember I have a good friend. I probably shouldn't tell the story on the podcast, but I remember specifically her telling me her first kiss was with Todd Kearns. And I, (laughs) it's really gross. He's a scuzzy dude, but she was like, he was really hot. I'm like, all
1: right. There's a lot of those like scuzzy dudes that are like, that they
0: think that they're cool because they're like famous in Canada kind of thing. (laughs) And I would have taken famous in Canada. You know what I mean? Like I would have totally been one of those bands if I could have been, (laughs) I would have enjoyed the shit out of it.
1: But my favorites were always the ones that were more modest about it. Like, you know, they were just out there for fun. And it is like, for me, like Sloan, like embodies that sort of thing. Like they're not, you know, they, they were never like real assholes or anything like that. They're always really friendly. They were never like, you know, Accused of like hitting on their younger fans and shit like that, and
0: yeah, yeah. well, uh, Gordy Johnson, that was his thing,
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, he liked his,
0: he liked his high school girls.
1: <laughs> yep, that's oh I, it's, he definitely hit on our student council president. Uh, yeah. when he played it, yeah. when he played at St. John's in Brent.
0: Oh yeah, he he hit on every girl that I brought to every show that I ever saw. Like he was just that guy. So. Yeah, Good old Gordy Johnson. Probably why I never really, like, overly cared for picture, or uh, picture <laughs> that much. Because he always skeezed me out. But yeah. he does play a mean guitar, so I'll give him that much. He does. Um, yeah, no, I was always on the other side of that. Like, I like my guys dour as possible. So, like, I was, like my mat and tea party, like, that's just, like, they're there for the music. Mm-hmm. Not, not the, like, the chicks or, like, the, the popularity kind of thing. I was always one of those guys. Hence my Seattle fixation, right? Like, those guys who are just, like, no, we're doing this for the art. And, like, the chicks are a side benefit maybe and even then probably not because indie ethos and whatever so yeah have fun yeah
1: do we want to just uh finish off by talking about the hip then
0: i think we absolutely have to finish this episode (laughs) off by talking about the hip i don't think there's any other actual choice in the uh if we're talking about this era and we're talking about like canadian music that's like the 500 pound gorilla in the room really so yeah
1: absolutely and then they are a band that we've obviously spent a some time talking about before as well though so it's not like we're ignoring them but uh yeah obviously massive presence in this scene again not a lot of crossover with a lot of other acts kind of thing like it wasn't a lot of these acts sort of only lasted for a few years and then maybe uh you know traded some members and shit like that whereas the hip were the hip yeah. Ongoing well, the hip kind are, of thing. The
0: hip are an institution, right? Yeah. And like they are now. And I mean, they will be probably perennially because of how things ended and stuff. But like they were an institution for like basically their entire existence. They were Canada's band from the time like Road Apples came out. So like their third album, like people were like all over them. And been it was in that era where they just kind of became like, oh, yeah, everybody likes the hip, right? Like, yeah, how do you not like the hip? Um, and that's the early 90s. So like as grunge was happening, the hip kind of blew up huge up here. And then, yeah, they had this, like, perennial existence, like, throughout, like, attached but kind of removed from the scene, too, because, like, they would tour and do, like, Edge fests and, like, they would have these bands come and play with them and stuff like that. Like, I remember their Phantom Power tour they had, um, oh, God, I wish I could remember the name of the band now, but they were pretty big for a couple years, and, like, the, the hip had, like, they they were big because the hip let them open for them, mm. and that happened a number of times, like like matt has gone on record saying like he is he owes his career i mean a lot of these people owe their careers to the hip like notwithstanding just because of how well them and like the rest of that scene showed that like canadian music was something you could put on the radio and still get listeners and uh, like still sell tickets and you could make a career out of just touring and being a canadian band yeah so that's kind of what like that's the legacy of the tragically hip but like notwithstanding that they were like i mean come on fully completely day for night Trouble with the henhouse, like all those yeah. albums that are just like perennial hits that like everybody's got in their cars. They go to, to, to cottage country, like yeah. all that kind of stuff. They're just like Canada's band, so yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I think they have probably the widest appeal
0: of any Canadian band, and I think that which always does that not throw you a little bit because they're fucking weird sometimes. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, yes, some of the stuff is like. Bob Cage and Super Catchy and Ahead by a Century is like a very beautiful song, but like yeah. when you really dig into their stuff, Gord's a weird fucking or was I should say, but like Gord's a weird fucking guy, and it came out <laughs> and like even musically they were not like they fucked around a lot more than I think a lot of people give them credit for. Like they were a very experimental band. Yeah, I just didn't put them out as singles or like play that stuff live, but there's stuff yeah. on some of their later like especially that mid two thousands era where they were experimenting a lot that is just so like weird. And interesting, and like you're obviously having a ton of fun, being influenced by like the Canadian indie scene at the time too. Like they were big proponents of all those guys, like the Deers and the Broken Social Scene and that kind of stuff. Like they helped those guys out, even if it was kind of behind the scenes helping them get deals and stuff. Because they were just yeah. like they had so much influence too in the in the industry. Like they were the Tragically Hip. I don't know what else you can't really say anything else about them. <laughs> you just gotta be like, well, there's like a ton of Canadian music, and there's also the Tragically Hip who are Canadian music, I guess. Um, yeah,
1: I mean they're the ones that. Put out songs about fucking hockey and Yeah. Yeah. And and Canadian cities and Canadian stories and shit like that more than any of these other bands did, kind of thing. And yeah. I think that is why they tended to resonate more with the broader public. You know, they you know, if if I mentioned to somebody that didn't follow music in that era, you know, fucking a conline crush or like moist or odds or the odds or something like that they'd be like who the fuck are they but like anybody in canada you say tragically hip they're gonna know who it is yeah like if there there's even people that that wouldn't know you know matthew goodband or tea party and shit like that but would fucking know the hip
0: yeah well everybody knows the hip it's just kind of like i don't even (laughs) i don't even know if some people know that they're musicians i think it's just like that's a canadian thing right like tragically hip is just like a canada thing and yeah for better for worse i always think it's for better but you know (laughs) <laughs> That's an argument. We that was I think part of the impetus for us doing this episode was so you and I could have this argument <laughs> about what is Canada's actual like legit defining band. And I oh. was going to be it was always for me going to be the hip, regardless of whether my favorite be Matt or like the Tea Party or whatever. Like yeah. arguing against the hip is like the definitive Canadian band. It's like <laughs> asinine to me. So I. It, it, I mean, it, I guess it depends on how you're
1: framing it. Like the hip were, <laughs> talking about, like as a <laughs> objective framing device, they're the hip, right? So yeah, I mean, the hip are probably the band that that resonates the most with the broadest swath of Canadians. Yeah. But if I had to pick, like, my definitive Canadian artist, especially from this period, it would probably be Sloan, just because I have more personal resonance yeah. with them than I do with the hip. And I have nothing against the hip; I love a lot of their music. I was more of a singles guy with them, but they have so many fucking good singles that mm-hmm. it's still, but with, with Sloan, I'd listen to a lot more of like the whole albums and I love a lot of the B sides and stuff like that. And it leans more into my like post beach boys kind of
0: sensibilities and that kind of thing. And yeah, the hip, uh, well, I mean, if you look at the hip musically, like that blues rock into kind of like alternative weirdness ten- would probably be more up my alley than yours, obviously. Yeah. So they do because they fall in line a little bit more closely with the Pearl Jams and the Matthew Goods of the world um, than they do with the Sloans. So,
1: yeah, part of it for me is social, too. And it's just because the people that I was around in high school that listened to the hip were dicks. They were Uh, like the jocks and shit that picked on me and stuff. And so I have that negative connotation associated with it. And eventually I came back around, uh, you know, like when I got into college and started listening to it again and was like, yeah, this is good music if I can divorce it from that shitty fucking getting bullied in high school side of things
0: well that would be my geek cred for you then this week would be to go listen to some hip like just listen to the albums like that <laughs> would be something i would recommend because i think you like a good artsy rock record yeah yeah i think if you listen maybe go into some of the, the stuff like go post i mean i always like the big three for me are always like fully completely day for night trouble to i was, like 9, i think those are yeah. like the three best albums they put out definitive Yeah, but there's stuff after that where they start getting a little weirder that I like a lot that I think you would enjoy. So like We Are the Same came out like 2009 and uh, In Violet Light, I think are two records you should go back to and give a spin. And a song, there's a song called The Bear. I think you should just go listen to because it's the weirdest fucking thing you'll ever hear. It's all from sung from the perspective of a bear on an island in Algonquin Park.
1: Okay. It's very interesting. Because admittedly, I have not listened to much in the way of Later Hip. The last album that I have from theirs, I think is like Phantom
0: Power yeah Power is um, a great record, too, but very yeah. like that's the like that's that's the hip at the peak of their pop powers in Phantom Power, like poets and like something on Bob Cajun's on that record yeah. like that's a that's a big fucking album, so yeah, yeah, that was the first time I saw them, I think was that tour uh was the Phantom Power tour. that makes sense ninety eight so yeah, yeah, all right
1: um well, since Mark's already gone into Geek cred, then uh yeah. maybe maybe I will, and then we'll finish this out. Yeah. Let's see. So my Geek Cred for the week. So for those of you that might not be familiar, this is Geek Cred is just where we give our cred, we recommend something that uh we think that you should go check out. So for me, I don't know, we've talked about enough about music. I'm gonna say something that I uh haven't talked about on the podcast, I don't think, before, and it's uh Ricky Gervais's show Extras, which I just recently finished rewatching. Nice, good show. It's the yeah, the show that he did was the follow-up so it's a show that you've even if you haven't seen it, you've probably seen some of the viral bits from it yeah. because the the framing of the show is that Ricky Gervais starts out as supporting as an extra basically mm-hmm. on movies on t v shows that sort of thing, and ends up interacting with a lot of like big stars like you know there's. Patrick Stewart, Ian e. McKellen, uh, Orlando Bloom, Daniel Radcliffe, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And those are the bits that have ended up going viral for, from it.
0: Wait, did you say David Bowie? Because oh yeah, David Bowie. David Bowie, yeah, that thing. one was amazing. He's basically, the fucking definitive clip from the show. <laughs> he starts singing out of all man. Little fat man. Sad little fat man. <laughs> oh fuck!
1: Pathetic little loser. Yeah. Uh, Bowie. <laughs> could you please just come back? To Nobody Earth? likes him. Yeah,
0: we need you back, buddy. We need you back, Bowie. Come yeah. back. God damn it. That was fucking <laughs> I remember Oh man, the first time I watched that I lost my mind. He started singing at him. I'm like, first of all, how the fuck did you get David Bowie to show up on your shit TV show? <laughs> and second of all Because it was
1: Ricky Gervais coming off yeah, the office, which was true. an international sensation.
0: That's true. Absolutely. But I was just like, wow, you, but like even then, even still, like even as big as that was, getting yeah. David Bowie is like I don't know. That's fucking huge. I don't Maybe that's just me. Like I I'll very much deify David Bowie, but like, wow. Yeah. That's a big. Bet, so
1: yeah, but, but the show itself is worth watching front to back. Even just the, without all of the celebrity bits, the interaction between the two main characters, between Ricky Gervais's character and the female lead are really good and really sort of heartwarming as well. So I highly recommend extras if you've never gone, and seen it.
0: Nice. Yeah, no. For me, like I, I said, you guys, you should listen to some hip. That's (laughs) you have to. You need to get. You got to get past this hump, buddy. Like it's, it's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed (laughs) for you. You should know this band. It's not
1: that I haven't listened to plenty of hip.
0: You need to listen to some like deep, deep cuts hip. But stay away from the singles. Get away from the singles. Come and join me in the deep. I'll find find a a discography. There it is. That's what I like (laughs) to hear. For everybody else, though, uh, I would go. hmm, Honestly. It kind of like, like go The Devil You Know is a good record, and I think people should really sleeper. listen to it. Yeah, it's definitely a sleeper. It was one of those records that, like, I remember everybody had it, and everybody liked it, but, like, they just didn't do anything, but such a good fucking record so go listen to that yeah. there you go and it's it's not one of
1: those those ones that gets you know called out in retrospect kind of thing yeah. like there are plenty of albums in this period or songs where people go back and say that was a great song but you never fucking hear anybody talk about a Conaline Crush anymore
0: yeah 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 i think i'm probably the only person who even remembers they existed for a, a <laughs> lot of the time so you and me apparently yeah well good thing we found each other buddy good thing we
1: found <laughs> <time>. <laughs> All right, well, with that, I think we shall close out. Thank you so much for listening, folks. If you liked what you heard, uh, feel free to give us feedback. You can do so on our Facebook at dance robot dance or fuck, Facebook.com slash dance robot dance podcast. You can email us at dance robot dance podcast at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at drd underscore podcast. If you are not already subscribed, you can do so on various podcasting platforms google play store apple podcasts uh stitcher sound engine other places (laughs) (laughs) probably and yeah let us know what you think and if we missed your favorite canadian artist or somebody from that 90s can rock scene that you thought that we should have talked about
0: by all means call us out on it and uh leave us a comment somewhere yeah if if you can if you can name a (laughs) band that i don't remember you win the no prize because like (laughs) Good luck, but yeah. I would like to hear, like, give me your recommendations. I'd be, I'd be curious to see if there's anybody I missed from that era because I felt like I did a pretty good job of basically owning every album that came out in those couple of years from a Canadian artist. So, <laughs> all right, so with that, uh, we shall
1: say goodnight. Until next time, say bye, Mark. Have a good night, guys. And uh, this is Tim signing
0: off. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. I'll have a good out though. No, I would probably just like I'll, I'll tag some music in at the end or something. Bullshit. I don't know. Yeah, I that's, yeah. I don't have a, like a Chrissy end, Sounds like good. yeah, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs>